Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, it's very important here when we see uh, this, uh, uh, it, it, the verse 1 starts off, therefore, having these promises. Now, pause here for a moment. It's very important whenever you see these therefores, think of it like a, a, a selah. A selah, you know, when you read the Psalms and you see a passage, whether it's written by David, whether the psalmist or the sons of Korah, whether it's Moses, you know, but then you'll see a little selah, S-E-L-A-H, selah. What that means is a moment of reflection, a moment of meditation, a moment of meditation. Now, we know, I'm not talking about meditation like, you know, the Eastern mysticism, the crystals, the chakras. I'm not talking about that. That's demonic. I'm talking about biblical meditation because Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 teaches us and tells us and instructs us whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The inner man, the inner woman, these are the things we dwell on, holy things. And so when you see this Therefore, having these promises, think of the therefore as like eselah. Like, wow, what do we just read now? And this is verse one. You're thinking like, it's just verse one. We haven't read anything. Well, remember what we looked at in chapter six. In chapter six, verse 16, Paul, inspired of the spirit, the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, say these things is the same spirit that tells Paul, hey, Paul, say these things. And what is it? I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then in verse 17, the same spirit that says to Isaiah, Isaiah, say these things, is the same spirit that says to Paul, say this exact same thing, come out from among them and be separate. Separate. In order for separation to happen, Division is required. Division. That's a, that's a bad word in certain circles. In a carnal mind, that's a bad word. But with a spiritual mind, division is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. You see? In order not to touch what is unclean, separation has to happen. Division has to happen. The same spirit in verse 18, the same spirit that says, hey, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, hey, Nathan, say this, is the same spirit that says to Paul, hey, Paul, say this to the saints. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see, because the spirit of the Lord is subject, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The Holy Spirit is never going to deviate outside of the word of God. The Holy Spirit guides in the truth of his holy word. And the word became flesh. You see? The Holy Spirit will never guide outside the word of God. It's very important to understand that. The Holy Spirit will never teach a prosperity gospel. The Holy Spirit will never uh, say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Go ahead and take the mark of the beast. The Holy Spirit will never say, hey, let's go grave soaking. The Holy Spirit will never have fellowship, never have fellowship with the mother of harlots, which is prophesied to come read the book of Revelation. Will never have fellowship with the mother of harlots. The woman who rides the beast. 
The Holy Spirit never will. Another spirit certainly will. A demonic spirit certainly will. But the Holy Spirit guides in truth. Now you hear me say like, oh, uh, what do you mean division is good? You're saying division is a good thing? How can that be? My whole life, my pastor told me that, you know, unity, unity, unity. My pastor told me that division is a bad thing. Listen, unity into what? Anytime you hear somebody proclaim unity, ask yourself in your mind, ask yourself this question. Unity into what? You see, because if somebody says, oh, you need, for the sake of unity, I'm going to be one with, you know, the Buddhists for the, you know, for the sake of unity, I'm going to be one with the, you know, the, uh, uh, the Hare Krishnas for the sake of unity. I'm going to be at one with the J-dubs for the sake of unity. I'm going to be one with uh, the Catholics. Now, if you're Catholic, I love if you're any of those, I love you. I love you. But Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Not Mary, not Buddha, not the Hare Krishnas. No, Jesus Christ, only him. And I say this as a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me out of Catholicism. So if you're Catholic, I love you. But purgatory, unbiblical. If righteousness could come through Abraham alone, when you read Vatican II, read Vatican II. Read the catechisms. If righteousness comes through Abraham alone, if people can be saved through the Abraham co Abrahamic covenant, if that could happen, then Jesus Christ died in vain. It's a lie. Jesus Christ did not die in vain. And we're going to be in Galatians pretty soon. And we'll study it because the church in Galatia, they wanted to go back to the law. They wanted to go back to an Abrahamic covenant. But read Vatican II. Read the catechisms of Rome. It doesn't align with scripture. I haven't even mentioned purgatory. Purgatory, you're not going to see that in the Bible. You won't see it. Therefore, because you don't see purgatory in the Bible, therefore, it is unbiblical. Now you hear me say, oh, division is good. What are you talking about? Well, turn with me to... Uh, uh, the book of Luke, Luke, Luke chapter 12. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, the Lord Jesus Christ says this, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? That's a hardcore question. The prince of peace, the prophesied prince of peace is saying, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? And he says this, I tell you, not at all. All, but rather division. Whoa. Whoa, what do you mean? I thought he was the Prince of Peace. Absolutely, he's the Prince of Peace, but he came to divide. He came to divide. Now, remember, light came into the world. As he says, light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. You see? So light comes into the world. You you might respond, light comes into the world. You might respond, wow, I love this light. My life is dark and I don't like the darkness. I want to be in the light. You respond to the light. Other people might say, you know what? I like the darkness. I like my crack. I like my, you know, my prostitutes. I like the sex. I like the alcohol. I like all that stuff. So light came into the world, but no thanks. I don't want it. I don't want it. I like the darkness more than the light. So right there, 
division. Division. Because some will choose the darkness, some will choose the light. Division has to happen. You see? Now, it's not to say that the Lord isn't the Prince of Peace. He absolutely is the Prince of Peace. For those who are in the camp of the light, who responded to the light in a good way for their soul, peace begins to happen. You start to have peace in your life, peace in your mind, peace in your heart, peace in your soul, down to the marrow. Those in darkness, they don't have that. They don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Prince of Peace because it's, they're in darkness. It's not to say that Jesus Christ isn't the Prince of Peace. He absolutely is. But first you have to respond to the light in a good way. You see? And I tell you from experience, with a failed suicide, multiple failed suicides, darkness, major, major darkness, and then response to the light in a good way. And peace came. You see, the Prince of Peace. Now the Prince of Peace, in a literal sense, in a physical sense, will be crowned the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will, it will happen as surely as he lives, as surely as the Lord lives. It will happen when the Lord returns again. But for me and all who believe, he came to me as the Prince of Peace. And in my heart, in my mind, in my soul, down to the marrow, I have crowned him. I have already crowned him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I bow down to him. And today my tongue confesses that he is Lord. You see? But those who chose darkness, they don't have that. So it's not to say that Jesus Christ is not the Prince of Peace. He absolutely is. But how does one respond to him? As he says here in Luke, 8, or Luke 12, verse 51, do you suppose I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. You see, division. Five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against mother, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Do you have division in your home? Do you have division in your family? Yes, there's the bummer aspect of it. But rejoice in the fulfillment of God's word. Rejoice in the fulfillment of the words of our Lord. Division. You see? Now, that's light and dark. Division has to happen. Now, let's go back to our study in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Something else I have to say. Within the camp of the light, there's another form of division that happens. And to have a deeper understanding of this, you have to listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. You have to have a, a, an understanding of 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians, they're baby Christians. I mean, I'll read it. I said turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 
But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this will, you know, if you're listening for the first time, you have like a very basic understanding of what I'm trying to say. So this division that we looked at, that's the division between light and dark. That's like the initial division. But there's something hap- something that happens as a result of infancy in Christ, being a baby in Christ. Now, being a baby in Christ, a brand new, fresh believer, if you're born again today, if you become born again, if you became born again last month, praise be to the Lord, you're a baby Christian, but you need to grow and you need to mature. And let us do that together. But if you're a baby Christian and you've been a baby Christian for 10 years, that's not good. That is not good. You need to repent. Now, if that's you, you're a baby Christian, you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer and you want to be a believer, you do believe, you need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If that's you, hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ. You acknowledge him. You acknowledge your sin and you you acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. What happens? It's a supernatural transaction because the wages of sin is death. That never changes. The wages of sin is death. And he takes your sin. When you believe in Jesus Christ, God, our Father, your Father in heaven, he takes your sin and he places it on his only begotten son. Who died. The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ pays the penalty for your sin, for my sin. You see? You live, he dies. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you because he wants to be with you. He wants oneness with you. He wants you with him in the life to come. People say, oh yeah, we just... You know, we, we, we die and then we just, you know, become particles in the earth. No, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Your last breath on earth is your first breath in eternity. What is your eternity going to look like? Will it be in paradise or will it be in hell? You see, a fork in the road. Will your eternity, when you take your last breath on this earth, will your eternity be in paradise with Jesus or will it be in hell? People get mad at me when I say, oh, you you don't have to scare people to hell or you don't have to scare people to heaven. Listen, that's scary. It's straight up scary. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It is straight up scary. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. And so when you believe in Jesus Christ, it's a supernatural transaction. You live. He dies. That's how much God loves you. You say, wait a second. If he, if he loves me that's, that much, how come he killed his, his son? How come he allowed that to happen? He allowed that to happen for you, for me, for all who believe. And then Jesus Christ rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis power. He rose again as the first fruits of the resurrection. You see, and he's coming again. It is prophesied he is coming again. So if you're a baby Christian, 
and you've been a baby Christian for, you know, 10 years, that's not good. You need to repent because you need to mature and grow in Christ. But if you're not a believer, if you're a baby Christian and you've been a believer for a week, praise be to the Lord. Let us grow together. Now, if you're not a believer, repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And then you come back and you listen. Now, here's the, the penalty for being a baby or the risk of being a baby. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, and, behold, and I, brethren, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, a bunch of baby Christians, there was no growth for three years. No growth for three years. He says, and I, th- there was growth, but they were in like little home fellowships, such as those in the household of Chloe. Chloe's household, a little home fellowship there, was a lot different than uh, Corinth proper, the church in Corinth proper. Here we see in verse 1, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. You are still carnal. You see, for where there are envy, strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You say, wait a second. I thought you said division wasn't a division was a good thing. Well, division is a beautiful thing in the sense of separation, separation, godly separation, godly separation. You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. Okay, let us explain. Turn to first Corinthians Chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. To baby Christians. Christians in their infancy. Three years in with no growth. With the exception of beautiful, beautiful home fellowships such as those in the household of Chloe. But Corinth proper, the, the church, no growth. The majority, no growth. So something needs to happen. A godly separation, a godly division. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. You say, okay, I get it. I understand that. But hold on a second. Yet, yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world. Whoa, wait a second. Wait a second. What's happening here? A lot of times, as Christians, we we don't like the things of the world, which is good because the things of God are at enmity with the things of the world. But don't forget, that's where the fish are. That's where the fish are. The things of the world. I mean, people are caught up in these different lifestyles. And if it's estranged from God, then... How do you expect light to be in darkness? You see? How do you expect these people to know unless there's a messenger? Unless somebody tells them. And Paul says, I'm not talking about the world. The sexually immoral of the world. Or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. He's saying you'd have to go in a space. You'd have to live on Mars. Because... That's what this world looks like. They're everywhere. The sexually immoral, the covetous, the extortioners, the idolaters, they're everywhere. 
It's not, hey, let's have a, a Christian colony. Let's let's go to the, the hills. Let's go to the, you know, the, the, the desert. Let's go to wherever and then let's head for the hills and, you know, let's have our little commune. No, that's the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. And the world is at enmity with God. But even still, that's where the fish are. Now, he says this, but now... I have in verse 11, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. See, a Christian, a Christian, not to keep company with anyone named a brother, a Christian. So that initial division that we looked at were light and darkness. Okay, we look at the light. Now within that light, if there's no growth, like in Corinth, if they're babies for three years, like in Corinth, there's an abundance of the works of the flesh. I mean, where there's works of the flesh, how, how will those in the light know about the, the works of the flesh and walking according to the flesh unless somebody tells them? A pastor, an elder, an overseer, a biblical pastor. Not somebody that wants to tickle ears. A biblical pastor, a biblical shepherd, a biblical teacher. That was absent in Corinth. You might have had somebody who had the title pastor, the special parking spot, you know, close to the close to the church, a nice little parking spot. They might have dressed like a pastor. But were they? Were they shepherding in truth? No, that's the defunct class. That's why you hear us say defunct pastors, defunct elders. Results in a defunct church. No power. No power. Lamps, no oil. Flashlights, no batteries. You see? Anyone named a brother. Now within that camp of the light, we've already addressed the darkness. Now let's focus on the camp of the light like the saints in Corinth. Within that camp, in Corinth, that camp of the light, saints, where there's no growth, it comes at a huge risk. It comes at a very, very huge risk because there's a further division that needs to happen. Or, and I say godly division, there's a further separation that needs to happen, which is what Paul is saying here. Not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are on the, on the outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? You see? Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. People misapply the scriptures. Judgment has to happen. Remember, there are three main uh, derivatives of the word crino. There's crino, anacrino, and diacrino. There's others, but those are the three biggies. Those are the three main ones in the New Testament. Crino, anacrino, and diacrino. Only one is forbidden. Only one is forbidden. Which is like to judge, like, you know, condemned to hell. This guy's gonna burn in hell. You can't do that. Only Jesus Christ can do that. But we have to, anacrino and diacrino, we have to make these assessments on judgment. We have to make a judgment. 
Do you not judge those who are on the inside? Verse 13, but those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. You see, separate, separate. So you see multiple levels of division, multiple levels of separation. You see the division from the separation from light and dark. The dark is one camp. The dark is one camp. But let me tell you something. It's not to say that we should run away from the dark. That's where the fish are. That's where I was. That's where you were. You see? But we have to engage the dark. Now, how does that... Not You can't be a novice and engage the dark. You have to learn about spiritual warfare. You have to learn. You have to be equipped to understand these things. So the initial division is dark and light. The dark is one camp. The light is another camp. Now, within that camp of the light, there's another separation, such as happening in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. As a result of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they're babies, no growth. Think of like 1 Corinthians in their first year, every, in, in their first month, you know, Acts 18, when the church was founded by Paul, a type of spiritual father. I shouldn't even say a type of spiritual father, a straight up spiritual father. He tells the church, you know, he's male, no wife, no kids. And he says, he, he talks about the church in Corinth like they've passed through his birth canal. He's male. He has no birth canal. You see? And he says, you guys are like my children. You have all these teachers. You have 10,000 teachers, but they're preschool teachers. But you, you guys are like my children, my only, my, my begotten children. And, the, and how it translates in the Greek is like, you know, I gave birth to you guys. And you see the birth of the church in First in Acts 18. So this camp of the light, picture the church in Corinth in their first, first month in Acts 18. Their first month, everybody has oil in their lamps. Everybody has batteries in their flashlight and they work. The flashlight, they turn the on switch on and boom, flash, everybody got light in their flashlight. But in the course of three years, in the course, like eight months later, lights start to dim. You see? A year later, more lights start to dim. Two years later, lights start to go out. You see? No power. No power. Lights start to go out. Three years in, more lights have gone out. More lights have dimmed. But where is the light? Where is Goshen? Hearken to our study through Exodus. Where is Goshen? Chloe's house. You see? But for the majority of Corinth, lights are going out. Lights are dimming. You see? And now as a result of that, and, and I say that, but it's a result of, number one, the people's choices that they made. They were baby Christians. But how do you expect these baby Christians to grow without a teacher? You see? Now we look at the defunct pastors, the defunct elders. How did they permit this to happen? Why did they permit this to happen? You know what I say of the defunct pastors of Corinth? Stay in your tent. 
Stay in your tent. There's war and it's not for you because you're defunct. Just like our study in Numbers 31. Stay in your tent. What do I say of the defunct pastors and elders today? Step down. You're defunct and it comes at a heavy price to the flock. Not your flock. The flock of God. Them. The saints. They're lights. They're, they're running out of batteries. They're running out of power in their batteries. Their batteries, the, the lights are growing dim. There's no oil for their lamps. As a result of defunct teaching by a defunct pastor and a defunct elder, you say, whoa, you're going too far. That's too hardcore. Is it really? Is it really? In light of this separation that happens in the camp of the light? How can you call it the camp of the light when there's no light? How can you call it the camp of the light when the lights are going dim, when the lights are shutting off? Except in Chloe's house. Not so with Chloe's house. Not so with the remnant, Goshen. You see? So you see, there's multiple levels of this separation. Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, Selah, <laughs> Therefore, having these promises, whoa, now you see the depths of this. Whoa, I get what it means now. Therefore, having these promises, remember what we looked at in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. The same spirit that tells uh, uh, Ezekiel is the same spirit that says to Paul to tell to the church in Corinth is the same spirit that says to you right here, right now. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The same spirit that tells Ezekiel to say this to Israel. The same spirit that says, Paul, say this to the remnant of Corinth is the same spirit that says to the remnant in this age of grace, the remnant according to grace. And that's you. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You say, wait a second. Light has come into this world. God, you know, the, the light of the Lord has come into this world, but I still like my crack. I still like my sex. I still like my alcohol. Cut it out. Repent and go and sin no more. Just as Jesus Christ tells, tells you know, the people, People say all the time, oh, Jesus Christ, he hung out with the, the drunkards, the tax collectors, the prostitutes. Absolutely, he did. Absolutely, he did. That's where the fish are. The fish are in the dark. That's where the fish are. Absolutely, he went there. But he pulled them out of there. You see? He pulled them out of darkness. And once they're in the light, he says, go and sin no more. Don't go back to the darkness. You see? Oh, how is it possible for me to be sinless? It's impossible. But you can sin less and less and less and less. And when you're completely, I shouldn't say it's impossible. When you are sinless, you'll be dead. You see? 
when you are sinless, when I am sinless, will be dead. We move on to perfection. When we achieve that state of perfection, we'll be dead. It's impossible in these earth suits. Perfection is impossible in these earth suits. You think, oh, Moses was perfect. He died in his earth suit. You see, he died, never made it to the promised land. You see, death is required. And it is appointed for every man to die once and then judgment. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a reform theory person. Because in accordance to Calvinism and reform theory, in accordance to that doctrine, which is false, they say it is appointed for every man to die twice. You say, whoa, whoa, where do you get that? Well, if God predestines people to hell in accordance with Calvinism and reform theory, if God predestines a soul to hell, then they automatically go to the second death. They die in this life. And then they die in the second death. That's two deaths. You see? And the Bible says it is appointed for man to die once. That's what the Bible says. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a Reformed theory person. You know why? I read my Bible. Now, if you're Reformed theory or Calvinist, I love you. But come out of her, my people. Listen to our study through Romans chapter 7 through Romans Chapter 11, listen, and you'll understand the biblical uh, predestination. You see? Romans 7 through Romans 11, listen to our study. If you're a uh, Calvinist or uh, 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 Reformed theory, I love you. I know it kind of, you know, what, I never heard it that way. I never got it. You know, uh, Calvinism, Reformed theory, is got, uh, it's appointed for men to die twice. I never heard it that way. Well, because you have a defunct teacher, a defunct pastor who probably aligns with another defunct pastor who says it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Very popular. And it's growing. More and more people in reform theory are aligning themselves with these doctrines that say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You see, it's a trap for the last days. It's a trap. I love you. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we got to be honest. Let's look at the truth and let the truth of God be the one that shapes us through the power of the Holy Spirit, you see. So the same spirit that says to Isaiah in chapter, chapter uh, 6, verse 17 in 2 Corinthians, the same spirit that says to Isaiah, say this to Israel. And the same spirit that says this to Paul, say this, say this to the church is the same spirit that says to you today, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Division, you see? Division. Goshen, there's light in Goshen. Be in the camp of Goshen. You see? Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. You see, this is straight up our Father in heaven, the Lord, our Father in heaven, is saying this to his people. You see how beautiful this is? 
so yes, you see this, this concept. I shouldn't say concept. I say concept so we can understand this concept of division and separation. But there's beauty behind it. People say unity, unity, unity. You have to be honest and ask yourself a question. Unity into what? Because if I'm to be unified with, that's what these political movements today, all, you know, a lot of people, there's plenty of room for politics. And I mean, it's, we, we live in, I teach from America. And you know, that we, our politics are crazy here, but politics are crazy everywhere. It's been that way since the beginning. It, politics are crazy everywhere. But you see these factions, you know, the, the Catholics joining with the Protestants, joining with the Episcopals, joining with the Lutherans. And it's like, People cry out, unity, unity, look, we can do all these things. Look, unity, unity. I'm all for unity. But unity into what? It must be the truth. It must be the truth. Not to suggest that you could ever get away with it before, but even more so in these last days. It must be our unity the koinonia, the ecclesia, must be in the truth of God's holy word, Genesis to Revelation. Genesis to Revelation. You see all this UFO talk. You know, people say, oh, the, the National Security Agency, they're, they're releasing this information, CIA releasing information about UFOs. And the church, they're not flocking to the, uh, 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 the, the book of Enoch. The book of Enoch, they're flocking. Oh, I want to read about the Nephilim. I want to read about the Nephilim. I got to study these things to understand about aliens and all these. Do you see? In order for that to happen, in order for somebody to study the book of Enoch, they have to put the Bible aside and look at the book of Enoch. You see? The book of Enoch is not canon. You say, well, men put it together. Men put the, put the Bible together. Do you remember Jesus Christ before Pontius Pilate? When Pontius Pilate says, I have the power to kill you. That's what, that's what Pontius Pilate said to Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. He says, looks him to his face. I have the power to kill you. You see, cuides veritas. I have the power to kill you. Jesus Christ looks back at him. You have no power over me. You have no power over me except that which has been given to you by my Father in heaven. You have no power over me. You see? We know that the Word became flesh. For people to say, oh, you know, these guys, it was creation, it was mankind. They just, you know, threw these pages together. They just put the Bible together. We know that the word became flesh. What man has power over the word of God? What man has power over Jesus Christ? Nobody. Nobody. The word of God that we have today, Genesis to Revelation, is the very word that the Lord has us study in it. It's him. The word became flesh. People say, oh yeah, mankind, they left out the book of Enoch. Mankind, you know, they didn't want to look at the Apocrypha. The mankind, they don't want to look at... Wait, 
You think, what, mankind has power over the Lord? No, it's rubbish. Rubbish. Poppycock. It's foolish thinking. In order for a person, a soul, to study and read the book of Enoch and get sucked into this, these theories about the aliens and the Nephilim, and it's very, it's happening right now in the church. It's happening. It's growing. It's popular. A soul has to put the Bible, close the Bible, put it on the shelf, and open up the book of Enoch. I will never teach from the book of Enoch because it is not Genesis to Revelation. The word of God that we have before us is the word of God. You see, the book of Enoch goes into some crazy, crazy things. Oh, how can you say that? You know, it aligns here, it aligns here, it aligns here, it aligns here. Okay. Look at all the other, it is also written. Look at all the other, it is also written. Remember Satan to Jesus Christ? Oh, it is, you know, jump off the, the, the pinnacle of this temple, jump off and it is written, the angels will bring you down, you'll be safe. Yes, absolutely, it is written. But Jesus Christ says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is also written. So many people flock to Apocrypha, so many people flock to Enoch, so many people flock to whatever. Vatican one, Vatican two, people flock to uh, 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 catechisms, people flock to this. People flock to New York Times bestsellers, people flock to uh, crazy love, people flock to uh, until unity. People flock to the grave soakers, people flock to, oh look, this study Bible. It's called the study Bible, look, it's, it's, it's biblical, it says the Bible. Truth. Truth. No crazy doctrine. Genesis to Revelation, the good, the bad, the ugly. You say, wait a second, I thought the Bible is good. Indeed, the Bible is beautiful. But there's some ugly things in there. There's some ugly things contained in these passages. And you know what the ugly is? It's sin. You see how God responds to sin and the carnal nature, Old Testament, New Testament. There's some bad things too, things that people commit and how the Lord responds. Whoa, it's some heavy stuff. You see? Be ye separate. You have a choice to make. Just like you were in the darkness as I was in the darkness, light came into the world. I had a choice to make. You had a choice to make. And we exited the darkness and entered the light. By believing and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that can happen to you. If you're, if you're listening and you're still, still not a believer. You'll, you, you still haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ. Or recommitted your life to Jesus Christ because you're playing games with him. Cut it out. God loves you. You hit pause and you repent. You hit listen to the message. Commit your, how to commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then you come back and you listen. You see? Now, now that we're in the light, there's another separation that needs to happen because in the camp of the light, 
And I tell you the truth, and it breaks my heart. In the camp of the light, something's happening. It's been happening for a long time, but it's getting worse and worse. Lights are dimming. Lights are going out. But not so with the remnant. Not so with Goshen. In the camp of the light, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because lights are dimming. Now, why did lights dim in Corinth? Defunct pastors, defunct elders, no teachers. You see? If you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you're an elder and you're of the defunct class, you have to be honest with yourself before the Lord. Stay in your tent. Stay in your tent. The battle's not for you. You've abdicated that responsibility because lights are going out. (gasps) How could you say that? You're so mean-spirited. How could you? How dare you say that? That's too judgmental. Hey, anacrino, diacrino. See? Let not many be teachers. Because if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, if you're elder, you're held to a stricter account. I don't say this to hurt you. I say this because I love you. You're held to a stricter account. And if you're of the defunct class, step down. Step down. Hardcore. You have a choice to make. You might think you're, you're getting away with it now. You might think, oh, yeah, everything's fine. I'll get away with it. Yeah, look, people love me. I got my special parking spot. You know, I got like all these, you know, thousands of followers on social media. Yeah, I, I take my pictures, my selfies, and all, all these likes, all these comments, you see? But when you're standing before the Lord, nobody's going to be with you. It's just going to be you and Him. What will He say? What will He say if lights have gone out in the camp of the light? What will He say to you? You see? Count the cost. Count the cost to be in the light. But if you want to be in the camp of shepherd, you better count the cost. What we see here in chapter 6, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, do not touch what is, what is unclean and I will receive you and I, I will be a father to you. I will be a father to you. You see, a different family. I've been called every name under the sun. I've been called a homewrecker, a destroyer of families. But I advocate a different family. My family tree is not of this world. My family tree is not of this world. I want God, the creator of all things, to be your father. I want him to be your father. I'll pour out as much as I can into you, even more than I can. I'll pour out into you. But you have a choice to make. You see? That's what's happening in these last days. In the camp of the light, lights are going out. It is prophesied to happen. Apostasy. A defection away from truth, which means 
people are walking back to the darkness. The great falling away apostasy. It is prophesied to happen. You see? But Goshen. Goshen. There is light in Goshen. In the midst of Egypt. A little town of Goshen. And there's light. As Egypt grows larger and larger, and I speak metaphorically, metaphysically, supernaturally. As Egypt enlarges its borders, the remnant being refined as through fire grows brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. In order for that to happen, you have to choose. You have to choose. Choose you this day whom you shall serve and serve him well. If you choose to serve him this day, serve him well to the best of your ability. You say, well, that sounds like works-based salvation. It's not works-based. Obedience-based. Obey him. Obedience-based. Obey him. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. How dare you say that? You know, God, we, we just love on these people. Let God take care of the rest. Look how God took care of Corinth. Well, Old Testament, look how God took care of Korah, the camp. Inside the camp, look how God took care of Korah and those who followed him. The rebellion. Look how God took care of Korah. Now, look how God took care of Corinth. The danger, the risk of being a baby Christian. They were baby Christians for three years. Except there was strong light in Chloe's house. Her little home fellowship. There was a strong light in Chloe's house. But for everybody else, you see, look what happened in Corinth. They were baby Christians for three years. No growth. Because of defunct pastors, defunct elders, no growth. You see? So what happened? Take this guy, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. These other people, these works of the flesh, separate from them. You see? Division, separation. And when that happens, the same spirit that says, Nathan, say this. The same spirit that says, Paul, say this, is the same spirit that says to you in chapter 6, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians, I will be a father to you. Verse 18, chapter 6. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see, that's hardcore. That's hardcore. That's the remnant of people of the way. So now we look at verse one of chapter seven. Therefore, <laughs> that's, that's what I mean when I say selah. Therefore, having these promises, so if that's you, if you've gone from dark to light, praise the Lord. And in these last days, as darkness in the camp of light is growing, the darkness is spreading, and you're in the camp of Goshen where the light is more palpable, it's even stronger because you've made a choice to separate Verse one is you. Verse one is you. It's loaded. Selah. Therefore, 
Having these promises, you see how loaded this is? We haven't even finished the verse. Having these promises, these promises are yours. These promises are yours. It's not to say if you're in the dark, these promises are not yours. They certainly can be yours. But the ball's in your court. Your move. Your move. And I say this because I love you. Your move. You're in the dark. You're at this fork in the road. You're in the dark. You're at the fork in the road. Do I stay in the dark or do I go to the light? Your move. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed theory where, you know, God has predestined you to darkness. No, everybody's born into darkness. Everybody's born into the ways of Adam. I was born into the darkness. I had to step away from the dark and step into the light. The same way you have to step away from darkness and step away, step into the light. If you so choose, if you so desire. A Calvinist reform theory would say you're in the dark and God wants you in the dark. And God is predestining you to hell. That's what a Calvinist would say. That's what Reformed theory teaches. But I'm not Reformed. I'm not Calvinist. Because I read my Bible. And I say this to you, if you're in the dark. If you're in the dark. And you still haven't committed your life to Jesus Christ. Cut it out. God loves you. I'll come into the dark with you. I'm not going to be in the dark. But I'll come into the dark to grab your hand. To grab your hand. And say, come on, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here, friend. And I'll give you a big fat hug too. Let's get out of this darkness. Let's get out of this filth. I don't care. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, alcohol. I don't, I could care less. Murder, I don't care. I mean, I care, but... I don't care for your soul. You come into the light. And once you come into the light, we got to call the cops. If you've done murder, we got to call the cops. You go to prison and you can start your prison ministry. Study and be trained up and you can start your prison ministry. I mean, I care about the murder, but I mean, if that's you, but I care more for your soul. And once you're in the light, we got to call the police. You see? And praise the Lord. You can listen to the messages online. This is the message online. You know, start your Bible study, a little prison ministry, because you're in the light now. Goshen and Egypt. You see? I don't care. However dark it is, I could care less. I was in that darkness. You hear me talk? Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole night. Hey, I was there. And I'll enter the darkness. Not of the dark. In the light. But I'll enter that darkness. To grab your hand. Give you a big fat hug. And say come on let's get out of here. You see. And that's what I do right here right now. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of this place. And let's enter the light. You see. And if that's you, rejoice. Praise be to the Lord. God is your father. These promises, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's for you. So if you're in the dark, it's not to say that this is not for you. I'm not a Calvinist. 
I'm not a reformed theory person. It's not to say that, you know, uh, that's nice that you say you're not a Calvinist, but, you know, uh, these all these t- teachers say this, all these pastors say this. You know what? They're of the defunct class. They teach on things which they ought not to teach. That's not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Bible teaches. You see? Oh, but this guy told me God predestined me to hell. This guy told me that God predestined me to darkness. That's nice. Who is he? Oh, he's a pastor. He's got a New York Times bestseller. He's got a study Bible. That's nice. Who is he? Creation? Clay? He's Clay. Why are you going to listen to Clay? Don't listen to Clay. Listen to the potter. You see, listen to servants of the potter, capital P. You see, because they love you. They're servants of the potter. They're bond servants of the potter with rings in their pierced ears. They're bond servants of the potter. Don't listen to the clay. You see, and if you're in the camp of the light, you have to understand the risk of being a baby. Being a baby is so beautiful. If you're a brand new believer and you're a week in, praise be to the Lord, it is so beautiful. You see that exuberance of life in a new believer, it's beautiful to behold. But there's also some danger behind it. I mean, I watch the nature shows, you know, and you see the lions, they're on the prowl, you know, they're, they're like, you know, sinking their eyes, their heads to the grass and the grasses. They can barely be seen. And there's like gazelle on the plains, zebra. You know, the, the British one, the zebra, they all say, the zebra. But, you know, there they are on the plains. And the zebra are here, you know, feeding, you know. And then you see the lions. And then all of a sudden, boom, the lions dart out. The gazelle, the zebra, they all run, they scatter. And then the lions start to feast on this Big, huge, you know, little meal. Maybe they caught a couple. You know who they catch? The little ones. The ones who can't run. The newborns. The ones who can't run. The adults, they got their strong legs. They can jump. They can They just fly out of there. Boom, gazelles, off. I'm out of here. Boom, zebra. The zebra. I'm out of here. It's the babies. They get caught. And they get eaten. And what does the Bible tell us? The Bible says that Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. See, just like the nature shows. Who gets devoured? The babies. You see? The young ones. Same thing happens. Same thing happened in Corinth. Three years, a baby for three years. That's not good. Why? Yeah, they had their choice to make. You know who else had, who had a choice to make? You know who else it was? The pastors and the elders of Corinth. The defunct class. They had their special parking spot. But they were defunct. Parking spot means nothing in eternity. Parking spot means nothing here on earth too. You see? Defunct. Blind. And if the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Don't follow the blind. Don't follow the blind. Follow those who are wide awake. 
just like Paul. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. If anybody ever says, follow me, you better be a Berean. Because somebody could say, hey, follow me. I'm going to take the mark of the beast. My salvation is secure. I'm going to take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. If you're going to follow that, you better be a Berean. Because the Bible says, don't follow that. If somebody says, follow me, follow me, you know, after this, after this study, we're going to go grave soaking. See if we can get a little piece of the Holy Spirit. You better be a Berean because the Bible says, no, that is an abomination before the Lord. What does Paul say? Follow me. For I follow Christ see servants of the master servants of the potter they follow him you better be a berean very important in these last days if you're in the camp of the light you have to understand this risk that lights are going out it's prophesied for lights to go out in the last days Lights to grow dim in the last days. Lights will grow dimmer and dimmer and then fizzle out. That's called apostasy, a defection away from truth. It's people in the camp of the light and they're going back into darkness. You see? And the, Jesus Christ, the Bible, the word of God, our Lord himself says, no flesh will be saved. That's how bad it's going to be. No flesh will be saved unless those days be shortened. You see? He even explains in a parable, as in the camp of the light, it's going to be getting so dark. Lights are going to be going out. People are going to be going from, uh, from the camp of the light and into the camp of the darkness at such a large scale that in the parable that the Lord speaks, there's only 10 virgins only 10 virgins. You see? Only 10 virgins. They all have lamps. They all have light. You say, praise be to the Lord. You know what happens to five? They run out of oil. No oil for their lamps. The five wise virgins, they have oil. They've been storing oil. And that's what the remnant does in these last days. Store your oil. I'm not a prepper. You know, people say, oh, I'm going to buy all this ammunition. I'm going to buy all, you know, this, all this whatever. Have this, you know, this special location, you know. I have some friends, you know, wealthy. And, you know, they buy all these properties. They buy these properties and they have like bunkers, you know. So it looks like, you know, a nature land and everything. But it's like they have these bunkers. So like they can go there, just, you know, bug out and, you know, they're ready. They're all set. It's like, well, biblical prepper, you know what a biblical prepper does? Stores oil. Stores oil. That's what a biblical prepper does. Store your oil. Because lamps are growing dim and dimmer, dimmer and dimmer, and it's going to get worse. You see? And all the virgins... All the ten, not just the five, all the ten are asleep. All the ten are asleep. 
where are the shepherds? To say, wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Where are the shepherds? Not of the defunct class. Where are the shepherds? Like the 12,001 from Numbers 31. Listen to our study through Numbers 31. Where are the shepherds who will say such a thing? Wake up, wake up, wake up. Store your oil, store your oil, store your oil. You see? The Bible says perilous times are coming for the last days, perilous times. This is nothing. You look, you look at the world today, it's entered into crazy town. It's the darkness. The darkness of Egypt is expanding. The darkness is growing. Now, if you're Egyptian, I love you. I say Egypt in a very spiritual sense. Because <laughs> I, I know that, you know, we have some listeners in the Middle East. And, you know, if you're from Egypt, I'm not talking about, you know, Egypt proper in accordance to this world. I'm talking about spiritual, spiritually speaking. In Egypt, uh, a form of bondage. That's what's happening. But where are the shepherds to say, wake up, bride? Wake up. Wake up, virgin. Now, to say bride, the marriage hasn't happened yet. But yet, we're engaged to Jesus Christ. You see? Wake up. It's not a time to play tiddlywinks. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. The darkness isn't just going to get like a little bit of dark. You know, like, you know, you turn off the lights and you can kind of still see a little bit. Or at night, you know, it's like you, you, you can still, the moonlight, everything's still lit. No, it's going to get palpable. Like you could have your hand in front of your face and you can't even see your hand. It's going to get pitch black. But the remnant, Goshen, has their light, has their oil. You see? Preppers, biblical preppers, store oil. This, that's this process. I say process, but that, I don't like saying process, but to explain it, I'll say process. But that's holiness. Holiness. Old Testament and New Testament, both Moses and Peter say, be holy for the Lord is holy. So we take our cues from them. Let us be a people that are Holy, that chooses righteousness. You see, that's separation. From dark to light and from light to like super light, super bright. In order for the super bright to happen, further separation. I'm not going to touch what is unclean. You see, just like in Corinth, separate from anybody named a brother. This Christian wants to be a baby Christian, wants to do the strip clubs, wants to do the sexual stuff, wants to do the drugs, the alcohol, you know, do all these things, be a tax cheat. Oh, it's just a little white lie, no big deal. It's just pornography, no big deal. Just, so I cheat on my taxes. Look, I'll get an extra $10,000. Instead of giving 10% tithe, I'll, I'll be hardcore. I'll give 30% tithe. No, your money perish with you. You see? I've had people tell me, look, if you keep talk, talking like this, I'm going to go. We're going to go to this other fellowship. We're going to go to this other church. And, you know, by the way, we're taking our money with us. 
Your money perish with you. I want your money. I want to present your soul to Jesus Christ. So that he can say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what I desire your ears to hear him say to you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, separation. And not just separation dark to light, but separation from light to like super duper light. I mean, have you ever seen like the, you know, like the, you see low beams and high beams, but have you ever been in light where it's like, even when you close your eyes, you wish you had like an extra layer of eyelid because it's like super bright. That's what I'm talking about. Straight up, super bright. And in order for that to happen, separation needs to happen. When you identify the leaven, okay, I'm done with this guy. Okay, I'm done with this gal. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for his soul. I'm going to pray for her soul. But I'm done. I'm going to separate. Because I don't want to be dim. I don't want to be like, you know, you see flashlights when they're low on power. It's like they come on for two seconds and then they're off. And then they, you shake it and then it comes on for like a second. And then it, you say, I don't want to be a light like that. I want to be the super light. I want to be not just the super light. I want to be super, super duper light. In order for that to happen, separation needs to occur. You have a choice to make. I'm not a Calvinist. Oh, God predestines people to heaven and God predestines people to hell. So if you read your Bible, if you go to church, if you have this study Bible, if you listen to this, if you read this book, the New York Times bestseller, Crazy Love, New York Times bestseller, Unity, you know, until Unity, all the New York Times. I'm talking about Genesis to Revelation. People think, oh, yeah, God predestines people to hell. And because I'm not doing that, I'm good to go. Are they really good to go? Are they really good to go? Don't forget, apostasy is prophesied. Apostasy is prophesied. And it's happening. If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, I love you more than you can possibly know. And I know what I say is abrasive. I know it because you're entrenched in, you know, these study Bibles. You're entrenched in, you know, this guy. You're entrenched in, you know, all these theories. But it's still a theory. Oh, but Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. You see? He hated Esau and he loved Jacob. So he predestined this to happen. Don't forget Esau was a fornicator. A profane fornicator. He made his choice. Read Hebrews. It is also written. Listen to our study through Romans 7 through Romans 11. All of it. Romans 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. And you'll understand what I mean. Now, that's pretty loaded what we just said. I meant like, okay, so we're still, <laughs> we're still in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Remember, he's speaking to a remnant here, a remnant that has made it this far in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. They've separated from those, uh, the, the, the carnal believers, the ones who were babies. And instead of maturing, they stayed babies for three years. 
And then, you know, 2 Corinthians, Paul says, okay, those who have been, uh, 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 that you've separated from, if they've repented, bring them back into the camp, bring them back into the fellowship. And so now you have more mature believers who are able to light the candles, so to speak, of these dim lights, you see? Dim lights being no more dim or dark light being no more dark. Bring them back. You have more mature believers. Now, instead of the, the, the dim lights influencing the bright lights, it's just the other way around. You have the bright lights influencing the dim lights. Influencers. You know, the social media, you see these influencers. Freaks. They even talk, oh, I, I have a million followers, therefore I'm an influencer. Influencer to what? Wickedness? Stupid. We're the influencers of righteousness. Biblically, the influencers of righteousness, they have a target on their back. People hate them. Satan wants them dead. Satan, want, Satan wants to kill them. I'm not a stranger to death threats. Satan wants them dead. You see? So now we see this, this remnant Therefore, having these, chapter 7, verse 1, therefore, having these promises, which is loaded in itself, understanding that what we read and what we've read so far, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Let us cleanse ourselves. Remember, baby, the, the natural realm testifies of these very things. It's babies that need a parent to wash them. But that baby grows up. Maybe a little child still needs a parent to watch them. The little child grows up even more. They close the door. They want their privacy. Rightfully so. They've learned, I got to scrub behind my ears. I got to get the, you know, my, uh, the toe jams. You know, I got to do it like this. Do it just like mama and papa told me. I got to do it like this. And they know. You know how funky you're going to be if you don't take a shower for a week? If you don't take a shower for a month? You know how funky you're going to be? Super funky. Nasty, stenchy, you're, you're just going to have this cloud all around you and it's going to be a nasty cloud. People will know because they'll smell you. But what about when it comes to sin and the filth of sin and all that implies the filth of sin? And Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves. I've cleaned you, he says. I mean, First Corinthians, I've cleansed you. Just like a parent does to his child, just like a mom does to her son, to her daughter, their baby son, baby daughter. I've cleansed you. I've taught you these things. But now Paul speaking to more mature Christians. Let us cleanse ourselves. You guys know how to bathe now. I've taught you. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now, flesh and spirit, it's external and internal. Lowercase s, flesh and spirit, not capitals S. It's lowercase s. All filthiness, uh, uh, filthiness of flesh and spirit. It's external and internal. The filthiness of the flesh, which is the hands and the feet, the works of your hands, the works of your feet. Do they honor God or do they not? If they don't, repent. And let the steps of your feet and the works of your hands honor the Lord. 
Cleanse yourself from the filthiness of the flesh. But what about the spirit? It's the inner man, the inner woman. What are those things that are going on inside your mind, inside your heart, deep down in the marrow? Whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. Are you meditating on these things? Are we meditating on these things? I've had people tell me before, I should be a producer for the porn industry. Men, married men, with sons and daughters, some in ministry. Oh, I should, I, I should work in the porn industry. I should be a producer in the porn industry. What? What? Disobedience. What do you mean it's disobedience? I, I've never done that. I've never done this. I've, I've never done it. But listen. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You are disobedient in your mind. You need to repent, O oh man. Oh, clay, you need to repent. You see? People, men, married men, with sons, with daughters, in ministry, saying that, oh, my mind is so dirty, I should work in the porn industry. And this is an influencer of his sons? This is an influencer for his daughters? Think about what the daughters are going to marry. They got a freak show dad. They're going to marry a freak show guy because daddy didn't raise the bar too high. You see? Repent. 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 People in ministry, oh, I should work in the porn industry. You're going to influence the, the sheep? You're going to influence the lambs? Oh, but I've never done it before. I've never actually committed. My, my hands and feet have never gone in this direction. Who cares? Your mind has. Where the mind goes, the feet will surely follow. Where your mind goes, the hands will surely follow. People always talk, oh, look at this sin. It's so good. This guy did this. This lady did that. It's so, yes, it's, I'm not saying it's not a, a, a bad thing. It is a bad thing. But precursory to those events is where the mind goes, where the mind is. You see? Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Obey him in your mind. The inner man, the inner woman. That's what Paul is speaking about here. Let us cleanse ourselves from all Filthiness of the flesh and spirit. External, internal. Obey him with your feet. Obey him with your hands. Obey him with your mind. Obey him with your heart. Obey him deep down in the depths of your marrow. Obey him. Oh, that's too hardcore. You're such a legalist. You're such a legalist. Says the perishing. What they call legalism, I call obedience. You see? Now, I don't say like, uh, you look at the Seventh-day Adventists, which all the Branch Davidians were Seventh-day Adventists. That's legalism. Obedience is not legalism. 
That's servanthood unto the master. That's bond servanthood. And Paul is saying this to the remnant of Corinth. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see? Perfecting holiness. You know what's happening in the church today? It's very common. People are perfecting wickedness. They're practicing wickedness by taking advantage of God's grace. Oh, yeah, God, God saved me. I was a sex head. You know, God saved me. And look, you know, I've been a Christian for five years now, and I'm still a sex head. They call it habitual sin. Yeah, I had problems with pornography before I was a Christian. And now that I'm a Christian, I still have problems with pornography. Oh, I used to be a crackhead before I became a Christian. And now I'm a Christian and I'm still a crackhead. I still do meth. I still smoke weed. It's legal now. Now I do the shrooms. It's legal. You see, I take my trips to Central America, go to South America, do my little ayahuasca trips. Oh, it's natural. You know, God created it. It's natural. They make excuses for sin. They have powerless lives because they have no batteries, no oil. And they make excuses. They practice wickedness instead of practicing holiness. I mean, you watch a, a basketball game, professional basketball or professional football or professional whatever. You're watching professional athletes compete on a professional level. But what about when this player, when this athlete was five years old? What about when this athlete was 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old? What you don't see is the practice that they put into, into play in their lives, the sacrifice that they made. You see? It requires sacrifice. You're going to have to put down the crack pipe. You're going to have to put down the sex. You say, oh, I have a problem with pornography. Okay, get rid of your computer. Oh, I, I don't do that, but I do the prostitutes. Don't do that anymore. Oh, but look, my cell phone makes it so easy. I have this app. It's, they call it a dating app, but it's not really a dating app. It's a sex app. They got the GPS, all these things. You know, you, the guys and girls, guys and guys, girls and girls, you know, a free-for-all. You just, you know, post your picture. You say your a little bit of likes and dislikes, and you post your profile. And, you know, you say, okay, I'm open from this hour to this hour on this day. And you hit submit or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you'll get a little notice on your phone will pop up. Bing. A guy says, hey, just so happens I'm open at this time slot too. A lady says, oh, it's okay. Look, I'm open at this time slot too. The guy calls his wife. Oh, you know, look, I, I got a busy day at the office. I got a busy day at the office. I got to work long hours, so I'm going to be here for another two hours. I'm going to be here for another hour. Hangs up the phone. Okay, bye, honey. Hangs up the phone. Click. Gets in his car. Goes to motel. Meets the lady. Does his business. Comes home, oh, I had a rough day at the office. No, you're a wicked sinner. You're practicing sin. You're practicing wickedness. You see? 
wives, faithful wives getting sexually transmitted diseases, all kinds of different STDs. How does that happen? How does that happen? She's staying faithful to her husband. How is that happening? Husband, men. You see? The men, they go out and they do their things with whatever, whoever, disgusting things. They come home, do things with their wife, disgusting things. Because, you know, their minds are crazy. They say, oh, wife, you have to submit to me. I watch my pornography, so wife, you have to do it like this. I do my prostitutes, so wife, you have to do it like this. I do it like this, they do it like this, so wife, you got to do it. You have to submit to me. I'm the man. You have to submit to the authority. You have to submit to me. I'm the leader of my home. No, that's not a leader. Because a leader leads to Christ, biblically. And Christ would never have fellowship with wickedness. You see? Wives contracting venereal diseases, HIV, wives who have died. Husband is alive. The wife stayed faithful. The marriage bed she kept pure. He didn't. And now wife is dead because she died of AIDS. Husband is alive, HIV positive. His body took to medication, has kids, no mom. Why? Because of dad's wickedness. Inside the church, you see? Inside the church. Separation. Anybody named a brother, you see? Satan is violent. He doesn't play games. Satan is ultra-violent. Where are the warriors? You see? Let us be perfectors of holiness, not perfectors of wickedness. Let us be perfectors of holiness. In the fear of God. You see? In the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Yes, it's to have rev reverence for him. But it's also to straight up fear him. Do not fear the, those who can destroy that which can destroy flesh. But that which can destroy he who can destroy soul. Fear him. You see? He is, he is the head. He's on top. He calls the shots. The Lord. And we fear him. The beginning of wisdom. We fear him. We also love him. You see? In order for these things to happen, all filthy, to let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, you and me, we have to choose good over bad. We have to choose right over wrong. We have to choose holiness over wickedness. We have to choose. Leaven. Leaven is a threat to this very thing. Leaven is a threat to this very thing. That's why separation is key. Separation is key because you say, oh, you know what, brother? I, I, I want to spend some time in the Bible. I'm just going to read and study my Bible for a couple hours, you know? And then the friend said, oh, no. But look, 
pulls out a little baggie. I got the, 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 the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. Come on, let's go. You see? Leaven is a threat to perfecting holiness. You have a choice to make. Will you separate or will you not? And where there's no separation, there's no power. Where there's no separation, batteries are burning out. Lamps are growing dim. Lamps are burning out. And it is prophesied that it will grow worse and worse and darker and darker and darker and darker. You see? Salt not is losing its flavor. Salt has lost its flavor. And it's going to get worse. Except with the remnant. The remnant is a different story. The remnant is a beautifully different story. You see? This is hardcore. But that's the only way to live. Verse 2. Open your hearts to us, he says. Open your hearts to us, he says, to the remnant, to the church in Corinth. Open your hearts to us. This how this translates. It's like emptying a room. If I were to say, you know what? Uh, I, I'm hard up. I need a place to crash. You know, can I stay in your place? Number one, I would, I would never do that. I don't want to be a burden on anybody. That would, I, would, I would sleep on the sidewalk. I would sleep in the streets before that ever happened. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I'm just giving you an example. So if I say, oh, I'm hard up, you know, let me, can I sleep on your couch? Can I sleep? And you say, okay, well, let me, let me uh, clear this room. I have this room where I have, uh, you know, uh, office stuff or I have this room, but I, I just got to clear it out. And so you take, you know, your desk and chairs and whatever, and you put it in the garage. And what you're doing is you're opening a place in your house to house me. That's what Paul is saying here but inside the heart. Open up your heart for us, he says. Now remember, you have to make this distinction between worker and field. He's saying to the field, open up your hearts to us, workers of the Lord, servants of the potter, servants of the master, bond servants of him. Open up your hearts to us. Leave a place open for us inside your heart, O field. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Now, the leaven would definitely disagree with that statement. What? Paul says he's wronged no one. Look at me. That's what they would say. That's what the leaven would say. Look at I'm wronged, says the leaven. Look, Paul corrupted me, says the leaven. Look, Paul cheated me, says the leaven. Oh, be careful with Paul. He's so mean. He's so mean spirit. Look, he committed this guy to Satan. Look, he says, don't hang out with me. He's so mean spirited. He's such a legalist. Look, he wronged us. He cheated us. He corrupted us. Stay away from him, says the leaven, says the perishing. But the remnant, open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. Remember, self-inflicted. 
the leaven that said, look, Paul cheated us. No, you cheated yourself. Look, he's such a legalist. He's such a legalist. Look how mean he is. He's very dangerous. He's very crazy. He corrupted us. No, you corrupted yourself. He cheated us. No, you cheated yourself. You see? But to the remnant? Wow. It's right. Paul is right. He hasn't wronged me. Paul is right. He hasn't corrupted me. It's just the opposite. I was corrupt. I was corrupt. And he helped me be incorrupt. Moving closer to incorruption. You see? He dealt in a godly manner with that corruption that I had. He didn't corrupt me. It was just the opposite. He didn't cheat me. It's just the opposite. He won me. You see? The leaven would disagree with verse 2. Don't open your heart to him. He's so dangerous. He's so mean-spirited. He wants to commit this guy to Satan. He kicked us out. He says, separate from us. You see, you have to be a Berean. You have to examine the fruit. You have to examine doctrines. You see, what's dangerous about this day and age that we live in is there's churches on every corner. It's very dangerous. A lot of poison comes from the pulpits today. It's prophesied that. Remember, it is prophesied for false teachers and false prophets to teach false things and present false Christs, another Christ. You see, they present another Christ. Why? Oh, let, let's just read from the Apocrypha. Let's just read from Vatican I. Let's just study from Vatican II. Let's just go to the Enoch and let's just study these things. Oh, this guy's a pastor. He's a teacher and he wants to do these things. You see, another Christ presenting another Christ. But in Genesis to Revelation, Herein lies the truth that we have before us today. And the word became flesh. Jesus Christ, son of the most high God. Oh, but the Bible was just thrown together by these men. You know, they. You have no power over me, says the Lord. You have no power over me. That's impossible. You have no power over it. You say that, oh yeah, these guys just threw it together. So man has no power over the sun. You see? Genesis to Revelation. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Where? Among the remnant. You say, wait a second. What do you mean among the remnant? He's with, yes. Among the remnant, but he also goes into the darkness. He also goes to the prostitute. He also goes to the tax collector. He also goes to whoever. And so do his servants. So do his bondservants. You see? Let's continue here in verse three. I did not say this to condemn 
doesn't say this to condemn. Where's the condemnation? When you read 1 Corinthians, where's the condemnation? You say, well, the condemnation was as the guy he committed to hell. The guy he said to commit to Satan. Not to commit to hell, but to commit to Satan. Not period. Commit to, the, to, to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Now, I used to have a hard time with that. I was like, what do you mean? Wow, take a guy who's in the church and commit him to Satan? I don't get it. And then I listened to the testimony of a former homosexual. He was raised in the church. He was raised in the church and all of a sudden he got seduced into homosexuality, a little bit effeminate as a teenager. And his parents would talk to him. His pastor would talk to him. And he says every time they talked to him, he just grew more, more prideful because he didn't want anything to do with God. He didn't want anything to do with the church. And he ran away. He ran away and got sucked in further into the homosexual lifestyle. God, they took him in under their wings. They took him in and all of a sudden, you know, just passed around. He contracted AIDS. He contracted AIDS. And he was giving a testimony. He repented and came back to Christ. But he gave a testimony on his deathbed. Literally, like on a hospital bed and he was dying. And he started to explain these things. And he was praising the Lord that he was dying of AIDS. And explaining how it was the destruction of his flesh that he was able to see these things. The destruction of his flesh. Yes, he entered a satanic lifestyle, an evil lifestyle. And in that destruction of the flesh, he was able to see and he came back to Christ. He recommitted his life to Christ. Now, his, in his recommitment to Christ, it, wasn't, it was very short-lived. It wasn't long. It was very short-lived on this side of eternity. But I can't wait to give him a big fat hug in our glorified bodies because I love him. His, in his, the brevity of his life on this side of eternity, he helped me and he helps you. He helps us understand this concept of committing such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Because he says by his, his own admission, I was in, in the arms of Satan and my flesh was destroyed. And in his destruction of his flesh, he repented, saw the error of his ways, the ways of his wickedness, and he repented and came back to Christ on his deathbed. You see? Where do you see the condemnation in Corinth? Paul says, take this guy, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Oh, he's condemning, he's condemning. He didn't say he's going to burn in hell. He didn't say, hey, out of here, you're going to burn in hell. He, nobody can do that. Only Christ. But the destruction of the flesh so that his soul might be saved. You see, just like this former homosexual says, his soul was saved through the destruction of his flesh. See, now, if you're homosexual, I love you. If you're lesbian, I love you. If you're transgender, I love you. But just as I say to the Calvinist, just as I say to the Reformed theory person, just as I say to the Buddhist, just as I say to the Catholic, come out of her, my people. There is a better way. His name is Jesus Christ. Take my hand. And let's get in the ark.
You see, let's get in the ark and I speak of Christ. I love you. Homosexual, lesbian, transgender, I don't care. Repent. Repent, 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 repent. The same way I had to repent of my sexual sin. Heterosexuals, a lot of Christians say, oh, I hate homosexuals, I hate lesbians, I hate transgender. They seem to forget heterosexual sin. They seem to forget how, how interesting how that works. Oh, I hate the homosexual, I hate the lesbian, it's so disgusting, I hate the transgender, this is so sick. Meanwhile, they're doing their pornography. Meanwhile, they have their prostitutes. Meanwhile, they're going to the strip clubs. Oh, I hate this. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. If that's you, Christian, repent, repent, repent. With the homosexual, repent, repent. With the lesbian, Christian, repent, repent. Christian, with the transgender, repent, repent, repent. Oh, but I'm transgender. I'm so confused. I'm so confused. I'm transgender. I was confused too. Not sexually, but in other areas. I was confused. You know who put me back together? Jesus Christ. In my mother's womb, he formed me. He put my bones and sinews and muscles. He put it all together as a little baby, just as he did with you, my beloved friend. The same way he did with you. But he's not done. You were born into Adam. You were born into darkness. You were born in this dark world. And this dark world has influenced you into darkness. You need to be born again. Not into Adam. Born again into Christ. Born again into the light. How does that happen? Get in the ark. You see, get in the ark. Take my hand and let's get in the ark. Capital A, I speak of Christ, abiding in him. I was confused. He put me together. He put me together physically, literally in my mother's womb. And then he also put me together spiritually. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and the Holy Spirit building brick by brick by brick by brick. No more confusion. And I tell you from experience, you're confused. I tell you from experience, I'm no longer confused. You don't have to be confused either. A lot of teenagers, look at the suicide rate among transgender teens. It's high. It's a lie from the pit of hell because Satan wants to kill you. The suicide rate which is very high, he's winning. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. Because Satan, he takes all of God's creation. He takes God's creation, you created in the image of God. And because he's Satan, and because you give him ear, he says, look how ugly you are. Look how he created you. He created you like this. He made a mistake with you. Don't you hate him? And in this confusion, yeah, I do hate him. 
you know what? I think I'm going to I think I'm going to do this instead. You see, it's a seduction. It's a seduction because he wants to drag you away and kill you. Don't let that happen. I want to rescue you. You see? You are created in the image and likeness of God. He started in your mother's womb. He started. He formed you. Your bone, your little tiny bones, your little tiny eyeballs. He put you together, you know, your little tiny ears, little fingers, little fingernails. He put you together, your bones, your sinews, and you were born into Adam. Your first breath into this world, but it's darkness. The ways of Adam, darkness. The problem is that people stay in the dark. They're born into darkness and they stay there. You see, it's a straight up rescue mission. See, Neo, (laughs) any veterans out there? Neo, you see, it's a rescue mission. Take my hand and let's get out of here. You see, let's get out of here. There's a better way. And then you believe in Jesus Christ. Boom, you're born into Christ. You're born into Adam and you're in the, or you're born into Christ. You're not, you're exiting Adam. You're born into Christ. You're born again, a new believer, and you're born into the light. You see, Satan wants to drag you into hell. And the Lord himself says, no, he's mine. No, she's mine. I created him in my image. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't make a mistake. You see? And with you, my friend, my beautiful, beautiful friend, God didn't make a mistake. You see? Believe in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, I don't say this to condemn. Now, the, the leaven would disagree. Oh, look, Paul condemned me. Look, he uh, committed me to Satan. Look, he, uh, for the destruction of the flesh. But look, here I am. Look, I'm sick. Look, I got all these things, the destruction of the flesh. Look, he says separate. I don't have fellowship with my friends anymore. I can't, I can't have a meal with them anymore. I can't have lunch with them anymore. I can't fellowship with them anymore. Look how mean he is. Look how he's condemned me. Oh, by the way, I'm also going to the strip club. Oh, by the way, I'm also doing my meth. Oh, by the way, I'm also doing my alcohol. Oh, by the way, I'm also a text cheat. Oh, also, by the way, I'm also, I tell my little white lies. Oh, by the way, I also do my occult. I do my Ouija boards. I do my chakras. I do my yoga. You see? No, they've corrupted themselves. Just like the Old Testament, self-inflicted. Self-inflicted, so God responds. The same, you know, God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Self-inflicted, they corrupted themselves. They've wronged themselves. They corrupted themselves. They've cheated themselves. And God is reactionary. So his servant says, yes, Lord. Okay, Lord. Now, church in Corinth, separate from them. You see, God is reactionary. Now, I blame the pastors, the defunct class in Corinth. I blame the pastors. I blame the elders. You see, today, the church today, 
I blame the pastors. I blame the elders. Because God's sheep, God's lambs, God's flock, they need to know this. These things need to be taught and learned and understood. They need to be understood. Because this warfare, it's brutal. It is straight up brutal and violent. But in this dangerous environment, you have to be dangerous. We have to be dangerous. If you're going to be a fisher of men and go into the darkness as a messenger of light, you better be dangerous. Remember the demon? Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who in the world are you? And the demon overtook the sons of Siva. Multiple men. One demon took on multiple people. You see? You better be dangerous. And if you're not dangerous, become dangerous. Learn. Grow. Mature. Be equipped. Learn how to fight. And then let's go fishing. Paul says in verse 3, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. You see, unity of death and union of life and union of death. This is how deep it is. Paul says in verse 2, open your hearts to us. Leave room in your heart open to us. He says, you're also in our hearts. You see this reciprocity. Love. And I don't like to say reciprocity because it sounds too official. It sounds too textbook. It's koinonia of the ecclesia. The church. Unity. Unity under truth. It always must be under truth and in truth. Not unity with false doctrine. Unity with false teachers who present another Christ. That's apostasy. Biblical unity must be in the Bible. You see? The truth, Genesis to Revelation. And so we see here in verse 4, Great is my boldness, or to be frank or to be blunt, great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf or my rejoicing on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Whoa, this is hardcore. Because if you remember our study through the book of Acts, and you see that in Acts chapters 17 through 21, there's some heavy things that happen there. Heavy, heavy persecution. Heavy persecution in Acts 17 through 21. Acts 18 is the birth of the church in Corinth by Paul as a spiritual father, giving birth to the church, birth to the Christians, birth to the saints. I'm speaking spiritually when I say that. And in that, Paul says, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. I mean, if you remember our study through Acts 17 through 21, that's some hardcore. I mean, Paul was arrested multiple times. There was the home invasion. Remember the home invasion on the church, on the saints? Beatdowns, left for dead. And if you look at uh, Acts 
that's 19. Acts 19. Turn to Acts 19 really quick. Acts 17 through Acts 21, you see a lot of, you know, the persecution just is amplified. And in in the the province of Rome and the areas of Rome, I mean, Corinth and Ephesus, but still under Rome, the cost of being a Christian in the course of time got heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. It even cost them their lives, the church, the saints. To be a Christian, it was like a death sentence. And it got worse and worse as time moved on. I mean, a Roman soldier holds a knife to your neck. You say, they say, who is Lord? You say, Caesar is Lord. You get to live. You get to go home, see your mom, see your dad. You get to go home, see your wife, see your husband, see your kids. You get to go home. But if they say, who is Lord? They got a knife to your throat, a sword to your throat. And you say, Jesus is Lord. Say goodnight. You're done. In this life, you see. But in the life to come, beautiful, beautiful. But in Acts 19, this is during heavy persecution. Acts 17 through Acts 21. Read it if you you know if you're so inclined. Listen to our study through Acts 17 through 21. Listen to the entire study through the book of Acts. But in Acts 19. Verse 9, but when some were hard-pressed and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way. You see, they spoke evil of the way. That's, you know, the way our fellowship, it was named by the Lord. One day, I, I might say how it happened, but it was named by the Lord. It's not like, oh, what's the name of this fellowship going to be? No, 100% named by the Lord the way verse 9 when some were hard hardened and did not believe but spoke evil of the way it a lot of things were i mean that you know the sons of siva that's what happened here in in verse in chapter 19 in verse 14 also there were seven sons of siva a jewish chief priest who did so and the evil spirit answered and said jesus i know and paul i know but who are you? I added, you know, who in the world are you? But who are you? In verse 16, then the man, then the man in whom this evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house, out of that house, naked and wounded. You see? Seven, verse 14, seven sons. Seven sons. One demon took on seven guys. And they lost. They lost the fight. They lost the battle. No victory. 100% casualty rate. Why? No power. No Holy Spirit. No power. No batteries. No oil. 100% casualty rate. You see? Paul? 0% casualty rate. You see? Just like we studied in Numbers 31. Numbers 32, Numbers 31 and Numbers 32. When you fight with the Lord. I don't mean fight with the Lord like you against him. I mean fight with the Lord like you're with him. 
You see? In verse 20, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see? Not through people with no batteries. Not through people with no oil. Through the very vessels who had oil, who had power for their batteries. You see? The power of the Holy Spirit. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is verse 23. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. You see? Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, where Paul says, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. You see, the tribulation was great through uh, Acts 17 through 21. The tribulation was palpable. It was great. And through much tribulation, Paul says, I'm joyful. I'm joyful. And not just joyful, exceedingly joyful. How, Paul? Why, Paul? How is this? How can this be? In verse 5, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. Notice here, he is a worker. Remember, make the distinction between worker and field. And this is the worker speaking to the field. He says, our bodies had no rest. You make this, this distinction between the worker and the field. And this worker also make the distinction of flesh, flesh, and soul. Because he says, our bodies had no rest. Our earth suits had no rest. You see? Remember, he has joy in tribulation. Exceedingly joyful in tribulation. Understand that yes, his body had no rest. You have to make this distinction between flesh and spirit. Lowercase s. Flesh and inner man, flesh, and inner woman. Make this distinction. You see? But when we were troubled on every side, outside were conflicts, inside were fears, or externally were conflicts, translates as battles, fights, conflicts, warfare. Inside were fears, phobos, to be afraid. You see? You must, we must give our fear to the, all emotions, fear, anger, happiness, joy. Give it to the Lord. Give your fear to the Lord and fear him and him alone. Not that which can destroy body, but that which can destroy he, which can destroy soul. You see? And we fear him. Give it all to the Lord. I love this because... You see, honesty with Paul, he's open. He says, I'm open. I'm an open book. I'm an open book. You know, the home invasion. Think how scary a home invasion would be for the majority. For the majority of people, a home invasion would happen and it's like the occupants would be terrified. You see, terrified. Dragged away, beaten. Now, for another group, you know, there might be a home environment that, you know, entering a home would be like a death sentence to whoever's entering a home. There are people like that. But what about when Christ 
All these things are happening. And Christ gives a promise to Paul. Also in Acts 18, Acts 18. In that mixture of Acts 17 through 21, here we are in Acts 18. Turn to Acts 18 really quick. And Paul says this in verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Red letters, red letters in the book of Acts. Red letters in chapter 18. Do not be afraid, Paul, he says. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Do not keep silent, he says. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city, you see. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Now, notice, you see Paul, the Lord is saying to Paul, don't be afraid. In verse 10, I am with you. He says the same thing to Joshua. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. I am with you. The Lord your God, I am with you. He says the same thing to Joshua. Now, a lot of times Christians, Christians, we lean on these verses and we certainly can lean on them. But remember who the Lord spoke them to. And not to say that it's not for us. But to Joshua, he says, do not be afraid. I'm with you. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. That's what he said to Joshua. But don't forget that Joshua, when the multitudes were defiled by the golden calf, Joshua kept himself separated. He himself kept himself separated. He and Moses. Moses and his assistant. You see? They come down the mountain. They come down the mountain. You know, Moses exits the cloud, comes down the mountain. What they should have seen, had there been obedience, what he should have seen was Aaron, uh, the, the elders. That's what should have happened. And then they all together go down into the camp if there was obedience. But there was disobedience. Moses and Joshua come down the mountain. Oh, I wonder where Aaron is. Hmm. Oh, I wonder where the elders are. Well, they're not here anymore. They keep going down. Keep going down. And what entered the camp of Israel? Wickedness, worshiping of the golden calf. You see, who was separated? Aaron and the elders, they were separated, but they went back into the camp. They were separated, which is a good thing. They went back to the camp, which is not a good thing. So the separation, the initial separation was good. The separation from that was Joshua and Moses. They went a little higher up the mountain. They were like, you know, you have uh, in that initial separation, you have Israel. And then you have the Aaron and the elders. They come up the mountain. You have that separation. You have, you know, uh, light. But then you have Moses and Joshua, super light. You see? And to Joshua, the Lord says, be strong and courageous. I'm with you. To Paul, the Lord says in verse 9 of chapter 18, don't be afraid. Verse 10, I'm with you. Same thing. Same Lord. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Same Lord. I'm with you. 
And when the Lord says, I'm with you, don't be afraid. Understand that both Paul and Joshua were also with the Lord. You see, they were with the Lord. Puts things in perspective. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Our bodies has no rest, he says in verse 5, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, now pause here for a moment. If you have a highlighter, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith, but if you have a highlighter or a pen, highlight this part of verse 6. Nevertheless, God, just that. Nevertheless, God. Look at what Paul is saying here. In the, the, the end of verse 4, in all our tribulation, in verse 5, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Certainly, a lot of things to be fearful of. Plenty reason to even have fear. But it must be given to the Lord. All emotion given to the Lord. See, and, and when you read chapter uh, Acts 17 through 21, it puts things in perspective because you see, whoa, there's, that's a major conflict. That's a major tribulation. That's a, a, a plenty of reason to be fearful when you read Acts 17 through Acts 21. And the word grew mightily in those days and there was a great commotion about the way. And in the midst of that commotion, in the midst of that tumult, in the midst of that tribulation, nevertheless, God, nevertheless, God, remember that and lean on him, lean on this. Nevertheless, God, when the problems come your way, when the issues, when the storm comes your way, nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast. You know how this translates? Who comforts the depressed? Who comforts the lowly estate? Nevertheless, God, who comforts the depressed or the downcast. You have depression? Nevertheless, God. You say, oh, it's easier said than done. What do you mean, nevertheless, God? Look, I take my depression medication. You don't know what it feels like. I don't know what it feels like to have a knife across my wrist. To drive six miles in LA freeway, on an LA freeway, to drive six miles with my eyes slammed shut. Foot on the gas, all foot to the floor. Foot to the floor. I take off my seatbelt and I slam on the gas, foot to the floor. And I know. In short order, I'm going to be flying through that windshield. And I wanted to die. Say goodnight. I was done. Depression had me. For six miles, I drove. I chickened out on past suicide attempts. I was, nope, I'm not chicken out now. This is for sure. Tonight this is the day I'm going to die. You see, 
for six miles, LA freeway, 10 freeway. The 10 freeway. If you're in Southern California, you know the 10 freeway. And my eyes shut, not just like a little, little lightly closed shut. No, I had them like tightly, tightly shut. You'd need like a vice to open up my eyes. Tightly. I wasn't going to chicken out. I was going to commit my suicide and I was done. And I got bored. <laughs> I got bored. I was like, man, a couple seconds passed. I'm like, why? Why am I not dead yet? Riding the turtle shells all the way down the 10 freeway. I got bored. Why in the world am I not dead yet? Why don't I hear like skids, cars sounding their horn? Why don't I hear that? And I got bored, you know, man, 20 seconds in, 40 seconds in, a minute in, like what in the world? Why in the world am I not dead? I was entrenched in depression. Friendly, I got bored. I opened up my eyes, took the off-ramp, got something to eat because I was hungry. And I was for certain that was my night of death. Since that very day, I'm on borrowed time. I've been on borrowed time. And I tell you from experience, in your state of depression, the Lord will rescue you. The Lord will rescue you. And I tell you from experience. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast. You see? Comforted us, Paul says. Comforted us. You read Acts. Acts 17 through 21. And you're like, whoa, this is crazy. A church is surviving in this this environment, how could they survive? They weren't just surviving, they were thriving. The early church, the early brethren, the early people of the way. They were thriving. Not little tiny flashlights. Super lights. Not dim lights. Super lights. Super duper duper lights. On fire for the Lord. In the power of the Holy Spirit. You see? And Paul, certainly, he says in verse 5, outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Yes, certainly. But yet we were comforted, comforted by the Lord. How? He says the Lord comforted us in verse 6. How? By the coming of Titus. You know how crazy that is? To the natural man, to the natural woman. You know how crazy that is? What did, what did Titus bring? Did, you know, in a worldly sense, you know, it's like, wow, you know, I'm so depressed. What do I need? I need my alcohol. Oh, I'm so depressed. What do I, I need my whiskey. I'm so depressed. What do I, I need my Prozac. I need my drugs. I need my meth. I need my crack. I need my whatever. I need my sex. I need my prostitutes. I need my Ouija boards. I need my mediums. I need my witchcraft. That's the ways of the world. But Paul says, no, God comforted us in that lowly estate. God comforted us by the coming of Titus. What? Titus? What did he bring? What? What did he have in his pockets? What did he have in his satchel? You see, when you have 
when the Lord gives, when the Lord gives you a new heart, it's a whole new ballgame. When you step from darkness and into light, it's a whole new ballgame. It's a whole new ballgame. You're going to think differently. You're going to behave differently. It's like, wow, I used to be depressed and I used to take my meth. I used to be depressed and I used to do my crack. I used to be depressed and drink my whiskey. I used to be depressed and do my sex, do my prostitutes. I used to be depressed and do my occult, do my Ouija boards. That's the darkness. But in the light, you're still going to have depression. It's not going to be as intense because the Lord will change you. He will change you. When you submit to him and yield to him, he will change you. There's still going to be moments where you're depressed, such as here when Paul says he comforts, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast. Paul was downcast. Paul was downcast straight up. But yet he was comforted. Not by the crack, not by the sex, not by the drugs, but by the coming of Titus. Why the coming of Titus? Fellowship. Oneness with Titus. Titus, I love you. Paul, Titus, I love you. I have poured into you, Titus. I have trained you not as the next generation of righteousness. The next generation of pastoral leadership. The next generation of leadership and Titus I'm so in love with you you know here I am in one part of town here I am in one area and I send out Titus to Corinth I'm speaking in the, from Paul's perspective from Paul's sandals if I dare to do so all this time Titus has been in this bubble this holy bubble Vessels of the Lord pouring into this next generation, not just of righteousness, the next generation of pastors, the next generation of elders, the next generation of servers and tables, the next generation of uh, 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 bishops, the next generation, men and women. Emphasis, men and women, except a little asterisk. For men, men can only serve in the capacity of pastor and elder. Pastor and elder must be male. Must be male. I don't make the rules. I'm just the messenger. But you have deacons, deaconesses, like Phoebe. This little bubble of Paul. This entourage, holy entourage, Paul pouring into these people. And remember, you know, when we talked about the yo-yos? He sends these people out as like yo-yos. Timmy, you go out here. Phoebe, you go to Rome. You see, Titus, I'm going to send you to Corinth and it's dangerous. Be careful. The yo-yo comes back. Titus, how are you? you know, hug, kiss on the cheek. Oh, Titus, I'm so glad you're okay. Are you know, tapping on the shoulders? Did they hurt you? Are you okay? Titus, yes, I'm okay. I'm okay, Paul. Oh, praise be to the Lord. Paul, in his state of lowly estate of downcast, lowly estate of being depressed, is comforted by the Lord through Titus, by the coming of Titus. And in verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation 
with which he was comforted in you. You see, Paul sends out the yo-yo. Paul sends out the next generation of pastors. And he sends out Titus. Titus, you go to Corinth. He comes back. Titus comes back. And Paul is comforted by Titus. Yes, you're okay. Praise be to the Lord. I can pour into you some more. And Titus says, hey, Paul. Corinth, the saints in Corinth. They're okay. They took me in. I didn't have a place to stay. Uh, 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 Chloe. She, she cleared open some space for me in her house. And I shacked up and, you know, she had this little cot there and I just rested on the cot and I stayed there. In the mornings, I'd wake up, we'd have breakfast together, you know, and then we'd go in the town, check, check on the saints, make sure all the saints are okay. We'd meet up for lunch. You see? You know, and... Go to bed at night, go back on my little cot, and wow, Chloe, she's such a beautiful lady. No sex. No, nothing of the flesh. I mean, like, I say that, and you're like, whoa, why did you even say that? It's so disgusting. Because it's happening. So-called ministry leaders, pastors who say, oh, yeah, we're, we're going to go on a mission trip. You know, you guys stay here, and we're going to go. We're going to go a week early and arrange the sleeping arrangements, arrange the food. We're going to go early, and you guys meet up with us a week later. You know, a couple days, the pastors, the elders, they go off grid. Like, what happened to these guys? They come back. It turns out in the course of time, as sin is found out, that they were doing their sex, their drugs, meeting up with prostitutes. You see? That's the flesh. That's the defunct. Which, without repentance, they will burn in hell. If they don't repent, they will burn in hell. You see? That's what's happening today. But Bereans, you, my friends, you know, you make the distinction. Oh, they're, they're defunct. That pastor, he's defunct. That elder, he's defunct. But I care for those sheep. I care for those lambs because they're being taught by the defunct. You see, you know, because you're a Berean. Titus, oh, you know, I shacked up with Phoebe or I shacked up with uh, uh, Chloe in her house. She had a little space and, you know, the saints would come in. They'd have a little Bible study there and I would, I would just sit there and just listen and just, man, I was so beautiful, Paul. They took me in. They welcomed me. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. I was comforted by the coming of Titus, but not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. You see? The saints are okay. Titus comes back. Hey, the saints are okay, Paul. This remnant, they're okay. When he told us of your earnest desire, your earnest longing is how it translates. Your mourning, this moaning and lamentation, your zeal, which is to have this intense emotion. And Paul says, for me, for me, you see, now, put yourself in the sandals of Corinth, the remnant of Corinth, and how Corinth was a, a, a carnal church. And through Paul's epistle, 1 Corinthians, we're no longer a carnal church. The carnal has been taken care of. 
carved off, separated from. No more dim lights. We're super lights. And yes, for some of us, we were dim lights. Because, man, I used to be a drunkard. I used to be sexually immoral. But when Paul wrote his letter, oh my goodness, I repented immediately because I love Paul. He's like my spiritual father. I love him so much. And I know that he cares for my soul. I know that he cares for my soul because he wants me to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant by Jesus Christ himself. And, you know, Paul says separate from this guy. It's leaven and I'm leaven. And so I fall on my face. Lord, forgive me. I repent. I'm not going to be a sex head anymore. I'm not going to be a crackhead anymore. I'm not going to be a, a, a whiskey head anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to be a, a tax cheat. I'm not going to do this anymore. Because you tell me, Lord, through Vessel Paul. And man, I love this Paul. Thank you, Lord, for this Paul, this vessel. Thank you for Titus. Thank you for Timothy. Thank you for Phoebe. I used to have, thank you for Chloe. I used to have beef with Chloe because she'd always get on my case. You know, I used to tell her, oh, Chloe, you're such a legalist. I used to get on Chloe's case. Little did I know that she had my best interests at heart. She's like Paul. Lord, I'm so in love with Paul. Keep him safe. I know he goes into harm's way. Keep him safe, Lord. Bless him in his ministry. I caught wind that he's going to go to Jerusalem. Lord, keep him safe in Jerusalem because I've heard some things about Jerusalem. It's no joke there. But Lord, keep him safe in Jerusalem. Protect him, guide him in Jerusalem. You see? And what happened to Paul when he was in Jerusalem? He was safe. Remember his little nephew? He was safe. Even when people tried to kill him, he was safe. You see, that's what I'm talking about, this reciprocity of love. And I'm not, I don't like that word reciprocity. It sounds too textbook. I don't like it. I just don't know how to explain it. It's not just love. It's family. It's family. Of a tree that's not of this world. It's holy. And this reciprocity of love within this family of a different tree with a beautiful father. Titus, the report that Titus gives to Paul, Paul, they love you. They have earnest desire, earnest longing for you, Paul. They moan and lament, they mourn for you, Paul. They have intense emotion. They have such zeal for you, Paul. And Paul, in his lowly estate, as he says when, uh, in, in verse 6, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast, in that state, that lowly estate of being downcast and depressed, it's like a double whammy. Rejoicing, being comforted by the coming of Titus, a vessel of the Lord. But then also, he says at the end of verse 7, so that I rejoiced even more. Why? Because the saints in Corinth, they told Titus, Titus, tell Paul we love him. 
Tell Paul we pray for him. Tell Paul we can't wait to see him. We long to see him. Tell Paul that, 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 tell Paul that we have such great zeal for him. His letter, that was no joke, but we love him still because we know he's looking out for us. He cares for our soul, but man, that letter, whoo. But praise be to the Lord. Tell him, Titus, send him our love. You see? And Paul, you read, he's going into Jerusalem. And all the saints, all the saints with Paul, all the saints with Paul, other apostles even, prophets, prophetesses. Remember the, the daughters of Philip? They're telling him, Paul, do not go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. You know what the Lord is saying? What the Holy Spirit is guiding? Chains and tribulations await you. Go to Jerusalem. You see? How many times did you hear us say through our study in the book of Acts, he's not like the average bear. He's different. There's something different about him. How many times did you hear us say that? He's different. A separation within the separation within the separation. You see? That's what I'm talking about. Not just a super light. Not just a light. Not just a super light. Not just a super duper light. A super, super, super duper duper light. Bright. A trainer, a teacher, a pattern. Not just of the next generation of righteousness. The next generation of ministry leaders. You see? The church, the saints, they love Paul. Paul loves them. Titus loves them. They, in return, they love Titus. They love Paul. You see? I say reciprocity, but I don't like that. It sounds too textbook. You know, reciprocity, reciprocal love. It sounds too official. It's family. It's family. And I've been called a homewrecker. Oh, this guy ruins homes. He destroys families. He said, wait a second. I heard you, 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 this guy told me you're a homewrecker. This lady told me you're a homewrecker, but you destroy families. And now you're talking about families? Yeah, it's a different family, my friend. It's a different family, a different tree. That's not of this world. Love, koinonia, within the ecclesia, oneness, unity, unity in truth. Not unity in Rome, not unity in the seven hills, not unity with the mother of harlots. Unity in the word of God. Genesis to Revelation. Now in verse 8, in verse 8, for even if I made you sorry with my letter, even if I made you grieved, he says, grieved or distressed or sad with my letter, remember 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is heavy. Let's say it. I kind of prepped you too in our study through 1 Corinthians about marriage. I do not like teaching about marriage. I don't like teaching about marriage. I know that sounds crazy, but I have never met a soul that understands. Hopefully it's you. If you listen, 
Hopefully it's you. But I've never met a soul who understands. It's not that I hate marriage. Marriage is beautiful. But there's a better marriage unto a better husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. You see? You're like, wait a second. What are you talking about? Now, turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You see, a better marriage, a better husband. That's what I'm talking about. Now, to married people, I don't like talking about marriage. It's not to say like, oh, you know, you, you blew that one. No. Let your marriage exemplify the beauty of Christ. But also look forward to the better marriage. Which is unto Christ. Both male and female. Remember, in Christ, there's no male or female. Because we're all one in Christ. You see? There's a better marriage. There's a marriage supper that's coming. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, for even if I made you sorry with my letter now, we've studied 1 Corinthians and that's some heavy, heavy subject matter. But these things needed to be said. They had to be said. Why? Because the defunct never said it. The young baby Christians, they stayed babies for three years. The defunct elders, the defunct pastors, they said nothing, just like defunct Eli. He said nothing to his sons. You see? They said, he said nothing. The pastors, the elders, they said nothing. This isn't good, you guys. They, he, they never said, hey, brother, come here. This isn't good. Don't do this anymore. Hey, sister, come here. This isn't good. Don't do this anymore. Because they wanted to be friends. Oh, I'm just going to love on you and let God take care of the rest. God uses his vessels to take care of things. I mean, God takes care of things, but when he takes care of things, you don't want that to happen. Because when he takes care of things, it's judgment. But he uses his vessels to take care of things, just like Paul, just like Chloe, just like Paul. Remember, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth. But don't forget how that started. Chloe, those in the household of Chloe, a beautiful, beautiful home fellowship. Reporting to Paul, some might say, oh, Chloe's just such a gossiper. She likes to gossip. She's such a gossip. You know? Why is she gossiping so much? She's such a gossip. All she did, she's just meddling in people's business. No. No. She has concern for the field of God, concern for the field of God. Some people gossip for the sake of gossiping. Oh, I got the latest juice, the latest news. Look, did you know this happened? Okay, that's one thing to talk about it, but if you're talking about it to talk about it, that's gossiping. If you're talking about it to do something about it, that's another thing, that's not gossiping. Paul, let me tell you what's happening here. Did you know that there's all this stuff happening? Paul catches wind of it. What? 
How can this be? Imagine the tears of Paul. Imagine the tears of Paul, his heart broken over Corinth, his children, his spiritual children. What has happened to my children? And he writes, I wonder what that letter looked like if the ink smeared because the tears fell on the parchment. I wonder if that piece of paper looked like polka dots all over the place because of his tears. Hardcore things that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians. And Paul says this in verse 8, chapter 7, 2 Corinthians. For even if I made you sorry with my letter or grieved and distressed and sad with my letter, I do not regret it. I don't regret it, he says. Though I did regret it. Now he said, wait a second, he doesn't regret it, but he does regret it now. He says, I do not regret it, which is present tense. That's the right here, right now, at this particular moment. When Titus gives this report, when, when, when Titus comes back and says, Paul, they, they love you, Paul. They, they, they have this earnest desire for you, Paul. They, they have this mourning for you, Paul. They, can't, they think that you might be going to Jerusalem. It's being spread that you're going to Jerusalem. And everybody says, don't go. And they're, they're worried for you, Paul. They lament for you, Paul. They're so zealous. They have such this intense emotion for you, Paul. They love you, Paul. And Paul reflects back on his letter that he wrote. I don't regret it. That's what he's saying. I don't regret saying the things that I said. But at the time when I wrote it, I did regret it. Though I did regret it. Not, not, not regret in terms of like, you know, I should have never done it. But regret in the sense of like, I don't want to hurt you, you guys. I don't want to hurt you. I know that these words are going to be abrasive. But if Chloe going to the male headship, you know, she, she might have talked to some people, maybe maybe like a pastor's wife. She might have talked to like maybe an elder, maybe a, a deacon. She might have spoken to somebody. But because you have the defunct class, these defunct pastors that uh, don't bring to maturity those in ministry, you have the defunct pastors and what emanates from the defunct? Defunctness. So Chloe might have gone to an elder. Chloe might have gone to a deacon, a deaconess. But under the leadership of a defunct pastor, do you think they would have done something? Do you think they did something? Maybe they were yes men. Oh, this pastor, he's a, he's a messenger of God. No, no, we just... We're just going to submit to him. The Bible says submit to him. So we're going to submit to him. He's our authority. Listen. If you're going to submit to a pastor, you better make sure he's not defunct. <laughs> make sure he's not defunct. Only Bereans can do that, which means what? Be a Berean. If you're going to submit to a pastor, which is beautiful. Because the Bible says they watch out for your souls. Just, I'll read it since I said it. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. Now, this is beautiful. A lot of Christians are like, oh, wow. I, I, the Bible says I got to obey the, the, my pastor. The Bible says I have to obey his spiritual leadership. So I'm going to do just that. 
but you better make sure he is not defunct. Oh, it's okay. She's not defunct. She's my pastor. Okay, there's a disconnect there because she has no business being a pastor. Biblically. Remember, pastoral leadership and elders must be male. Male headship. Male. You see? Even Esther had a male covering. Mordecai. Mordecai. Male covering. Always. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. You know how this translates? For they stay awake and they remain sleepless for your souls. That's what the non-defunct class do. They stay awake. They don't sleep because they're on their face before the Lord. You're sound asleep. Sound asleep. Two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning. And they're praying for you. Praying for your home. Safety. Peace. No harm. Sound doctrine. Husband can go to work. Not be a freak, not be encountered by freaks. You see, keep them safe, keep them safe on the road. Wife goes to work, wife goes to the grocery store, whatever, keep them safe. The kids, keep them safe. You see, they watch out for your souls. The godly pastors, godly elders, they watch out for your souls. If you're going to submit to a pastor, you better make sure he's not defunct. They watch out for your souls as those who must give account, not might give an account, must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. If you have a pastor that's grieving all the time, that's not a good sign of the church. I mean, if you have a, a non-defunct pastor who's grieving all the time, that's not a good sign for that particular fellowship. You see, it's very important, even more so in these last days. Just like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. If you're going to submit and follow a pastor, you better make sure he's not defunct. You better make sure he's the, the, the doctrine is sound. The fruit of the spirit. God has these people as patterns for you. And so let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, made you grieved, distressed, and sad, though only for a while. It's only temporary. Only temporary. But then in verse 9. He says this, now, present tense, now I rejoice. Now I rejoice. Remember, he says, I did regret it. Past tense, I did regret it. It was sad. It was regretful that I had to say these things. Not regretful because on his account, but regretful that it, that it needed to be said, but it shouldn't have needed to be said. Those pastors in Corinth should have not been defunct. Should have not been, the elders should have not been defunct. 
But as a vessel of the Lord, Paul, in spite of the spirit, has to say these things. Hey, take this guy, commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. These other people, separate from them. Separation. You see, just like we studied several minutes ago or an hour, several hours ago. <laughs> he says, now I rejoice in verse nine. Not that you were made sorry. He's not rejoicing. Oh, yes, they're sad. I, you know, I finally hurt them. They're grieving. They're distressed. They're sad. Oh, yes, I rejoice. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. You see, repentance. Metanoia in the Greek. Metanoia, which is guilt that stimulates to repentance. A guilt that stimulates to repentance. It's metanoia. It also translates as a reversal, of course, by compunction. What is compunction? Well, it speaks to anxiety. Anxiety, but it's within the conscience. Anxiety of the conscience. Now, this right here, this particular passage in verse 9. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. This right here is where most Christians, they pull out. They pull the plug right here. How dare this pastor make me sorrow? How dare this pastor make me grieved? How dare this pastor make me distressed? How dare this pastor make me sad? He's going to talk to me about sexual sin. He's going to talk to me about my drugs. He's going to tell these things about my alcohol. He's going to say these things so that I'm a tax cheat. He's going to say these things about, you know, my Ouija boards, my yoga. He's going to say these things about my little white lies. How dare he do that? Doesn't he read his Bible? Do not judge lest you be judged. Listen, only the crucified can correct. Only the crucified can correct. No hypocrisy. If you're a pastor or elder and you have corrected or you do correct other Christians, if you have those same problems, woe is you. You're going to tell a brother about drugs, but you yourself are a drug head? Woe is you. W-O-E. Woe is you. It's not good. Listen to our study through Romans 2. Romans 2, it's not good. You cannot be a hypocrite. The hypocrite need not apply. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to atheists, non-believers, former Christians even, Satanists even. Oh, I used to be a Christian. I used to be, I have nothing to do with Christianity. There's so many hypocrites. My pastor was the biggest hypocrite. He would talk about sex and that sex was a bad thing. Don't do sex, don't do sex. And then all of a sudden he was sleeping with one of the teenagers in the ministry. One of the teenagers in the youth group. He had sex with this lady. He had sex with this married lady. He had sex with this married lady. And he himself is, was married. He had sex with this prostitute over here. He This uh, 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 online uh, uh, chat room for sex. And he was on that. You know, there was a data leak and he was there. I want nothing to do with Christianity because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. You know what I say to the Satanist? You know what I say to the atheist? You know what I say to the former Christian, the former believer? I agree with you. I agree with you. You know what else? The Lord agrees with you in that regard. The Lord agrees with you. Matthew 23 Woe to you, hypocrites. 
Woe to you, hypocrites. If you're a pastor, you cannot be a hypocrite. You cannot be carnal. Now, you're still, we're, we're still in these earth suits. But you better be dead. You better carry your cross. The instrument of your death. Don't be a hypocrite. You're going to tell somebody about drugs, but you yourself are a crackhead? You're going to talk to somebody about sex and you yourself are a sex head? You're going to talk to somebody about alcohol and you yourself are alcoholic? You're going to talk to somebody about the impurity of being a tax cheat and you yourself are a tax cheat using your 501c3 as a little haven? Fool. Fool. That's called being an idiot. An idiot. Oh, that's so mean. How dare you say that? Okay, I'll say it like Brother Paul. Beautiful Brother Paul. Idiotes. Idiotes. That's called being an idiotes. You need to repent, pastor. You need to repent, elder. Most Christians, they never make it beyond this point in verse 9. Because they're made sorry when they're confronted by a non-defunct pastor. They're confronted in their sin. They're confronted in their sex, their drugs, their alcohol. And you know what they do? They say, okay, I'm done here. And I'm going to cross the street and go to this other church. This guy's going to tickle my ears. Oh, I want to go to church and feel good about myself. And I tell you the truth. And I tell you from experience The only way you're going to go to church and feel good about yourself is with obedience to the Lord. That's the only way I tell you from experience. Because I used to go to church as a filthy dirtbag in my heart. And I used to go to church and I would feel like a filthy dirtbag even more so. Because truth was being taught. And then all of a sudden, I repented. And then in the course of time, a week later... A month later, the Holy Spirit did his work and I didn't feel like a dirtbag anymore. The Lord cleaned me. The Lord cleans his own fish. That's, I don't care. You're, you're in the darkness today. I don't care. Sex, drugs, whatever. You know, if you have a mindset that says, oh, I'm going to get my heart right and then I'll come to Christ. No, you have the formula wrong. You come to Christ and Jesus cleans his own fish. And I tell you from experience, you see. Most Christians never make it past verse 9. Most Christians never make it past 1 Corinthians 5. Because they're carnal. They're babies. Babies. And they stay babies. They like to stay babies. And they stay babies. And when somebody says, hey, this sex, this pornography, these prostitutes, this alcohol, this meth, this crack... These, your tax cheat, it's not good in the sight of the Lord. And you know what people do? They say, oh, they, they turn Christianese on them. Oh, don't judge lest you be judged. I'm out of here and I'm taking all my money with me. You're not going to get any ties. You're not going to get anything. You're going to be dirt poor and I am out of here. But the godly pastor says, your money perish with you. Stay here because I know. Stay in God's field because I know what I feed you. You see, but then they go anyways, they go, they go to a nice church. Everybody's nice. Everybody's nice. Oh yeah, this guy, look, this brother of mine, he's so nice to me. Oh, this sister of mine, 
She's so nice to me. We sing, we worship, and look what she passes me her phone number. A little note on there. You know, I won't tell my husband if you don't tell your wife. Oh, how nice. You see? Oh, look at this. I have this fellowship with this men's group for accountability. And look, all we do is just talk about sex. All we do is talk about, you know, pornography, prostitutes, pastors. Pastors with one wife, but hundreds of prostitutes. These are, this is happening. I'm not making this up. I'm not pulling this out of my hat. This is happening. They say, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to this fellowship where they're going to they're gonna tickle my ears. They're gonna, I'm going to go to church and feel good about myself. You're going to feel good in this world, in the ways of the world. But you know what's not happening? Sin isn't being addressed. The carnal nature is not being addressed. And if that's not being addressed, where is the separation? Lights are going to dim. Lights are going to go out in the last days. You see? In verse 9, Paul says, Now I rejoice. Now I rejoice. Not that I made you sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. It's not to say, look, you're, you know, come to church, you're going to feel good about yourself. No, if you go to a godly church, there are moments where you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel terrible. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I read my Bible, one passage, I feel like, wow, I feel like I'm on cloud nine. I turn the page, boom, a knife in my heart. Because it's the Lord who's confronting the carnal carnality inside of us. Inside of you, inside of me, the Lord confronts. What do we do? We yield to him, trusting him. Lord, I fought you once in my life. I fought you twice in my life. And I lost 100% of the time. I lost. I have seen the error of my ways, Lord, and I've learned to trust you. I've learned to trust you. And I trust in everything you say, Lord. You say this, I have acknowledged. And from experience, Lord, I know your way is better than mine. And I yield to you, Lord, forgive me because I blew it in this area and help me, Lord, but no more, no more. That's not happening in my life anymore because I want my life to be honorable and pleasing to you. I want my life to be a sweet aroma, to, not a stench. I don't want to be a skunk in your nostrils. I want to be a sweet, sweet, sweet aroma. So Lord, your word says this, okay, done. I'm not doing that. Forgive me, Lord. And I repent and thank you for showing me, Lord. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for shaping me. Because I am the clay, you are the potter. And I submit to you, my Lord. You see? It's not to say that you're going to go to church and never feel sorry, never feel grieved and distressed and sad. It's going to happen. As surely as the Lord lives, it will happen. Where it doesn't happen that's where the populace is. That's where the majority of people go. They want to go to church and feel good about themselves. But sin needs to be addressed. Carnality needs to be addressed. Because if there's no repentance, if there's no metanoia, metanoia, which is that compunction, which is anxiety of the conscience. So be anxious for nothing. Yeah, be anxious for nothing, but give your anxiety to Christ. 
What are you anxious about? Well, I go to church and the pastor always talks about, you know, sex isn't good. Sex is good, but within marriage. But, you know, look, I have sex like crazy with this lady, this lady, this lady, this lady, this lady. Look, I got the app. Look at all these people. I've had guys show me their apps. Scrolling through their apps. Like, look, check this out. They think they're cool. I think they're a fool. Make the C and F. They think they're cool. I think they're a fool. You see? How will they know? How will they know? The word of God always, Genesis to Revelation, always confronts the natural man and the natural woman. Once once that happens, we have a choice to make. Lord, am I going to submit to you or am I going to sit on the throne of my heart? Or are you on the throne of my heart? Are you king, Lord, or am I king? You see? Are you king, Lord, or am I queen? Everybody says, oh, queen is like very popular now. Very interesting how in, in these last days it's popular. Oh, this is the queen, you know, the queen bee, the queen. You are the queen of my life. You know, husbands like fools, they say, oh, yeah, you're the queen of my life. There's only one king. Only one king. His name is Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who is on the throne of your heart right here, right now? Because if it's anybody or anything other than Jesus Christ, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You see? Many people don't like that anxiety of the conscience. And this is where most Christians, they pull the plug. Believers. They believe in Jesus Christ, but don't forget, even the demons believe. They believe in Jesus Christ. And they feel that anxiety of conscience. What do they do? They turn to their drugs. They turn to their alcohol. They listen to Oprah. They listen to Dr. Phil. They go to their therapists. But who is the one who will tell them, repent? Repent. You need to repent. You see? You need to be right with the Lord. And you're not going to feel right with the Lord as long as there's this sin in your life. You see? You have an adult female having sex with legal minors. Sexual relations with legal minors. Sorrow. You say something about it. And sorrow doesn't lead to repentance. Sorrow says, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to this other fellowship where the guy's going to tickle my ears. A legal adult having sexual relations with a legal minor. Oh, I'm out of here. How dare you call me on that? How dare you say anything against that? I want to go to church and feel good about myself. How can you feel good about that? That's wickedness. You condone this? You allowed this to happen? How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? I'm going to go to this other fellowship. No. Repent. 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 
repent. Most Christians don't make it past this verse because they don't like that. They don't like that that feeling. You know that 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 sorrow. They don't like that feeling of being grieved and distressed. And I tell you from experience, I felt that grief and distress in my own sin 20 some years ago. In my own sin, when I was lukewarm, I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church, I was lukewarm. And I felt that. It's not a good feeling. I felt like I was burning on fire, like somebody had to put wood underneath my seat. And put the kerosene there and just lit it up. Big old flame. I was like sweating bullets. Like what in the world? What is this? I hated it. And when it went away, is with repentance. You see? Washed. Cleansed. Just like Paul says in verse 1. Beloved. Beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from ourselves. ourselves, Notice the plurality, including him. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And all I do is echo the words of Paul. Beloved, let us, myself included, we're in the same boat. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Most Christians never make it past verse 9. Imagine, remember our study through 1 Corinthians 5? Imagine how many people say, I'm out of here. I want to keep having sex like crazy. I want to keep doing my drugs like crazy. I want to go to the strip clubs. Yeah, I I I understand that light came into the world, but man, I love this darkness. How dare Paul speak like that? He's so judgmental. He's too legalist. Then they call out their friends. Hey, be careful. Don't go to this guy. He's crazy. What's crazy? The proof is in the pudding. The proof is in the pudding. You have to look at the fruit. You see? You have to look at the fruit. Most people never make it past verse 9. And he says this, I rejoice. I rejoice, he says. Sorrow? Yes, you were sorrow. Sorrow. You, you were full of sorrow. Full of grief and distress. But I'm not rejoicing because of that. I'm rejoicing because of who you are now. Now, when I wrote these things, when I wrote commit such a one to Satan, when I wrote separate from this guy, the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, the extortion, or the revilers, when I said separate, it was painful to write, but they had, to, you know, did you not see my tears? It was painful to write, but that it led to repentance. For you were made sorry, you were made grieved, distressed, and sad in a godly manner, you see? in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing, that you might suffer injury from us in nothing. Now, the leaven would say, look, Paul injured me. The leaven would say, look, Paul condemned me. Look, 
Paul, uh, uh, he, he, he condemned me. Uh, he, he, he wronged me. He corrupted me. He cheated me. He hurt me. He caused injury to me. The leaven would say that. Those who are perishing would say that. But the remnant, those who might have felt sorry, but their sorrow led them to repentance, they would say, we've suffered nothing. We've suffered loss from Paul. We've, we've suffered nothing from him. It's just the opposite. We've gained life. We've gained life and life everlasting. He's helping us. He's, he's watching out for our souls. Even when I'm not watching out for my soul, Paul is watching out for my soul. My friends, you know, they wanted to do the sex and they wanted to do the drugs and, you know, the alcohol. And I was like, okay, no big deal. I'll go ahead and do it. God is love. God is love. Eat, drink, and be merry. God is love. So yes, Christians, let's get together. Let's get together. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, you know, you're getting a little tipsy. This lady's getting a little tipsy. This guy's getting a little tipsy. And they go upstairs into their own private room and they do their business. And yeah, he's married and she's married. But oh, God is love. God is love. I want to take this adult and let them have sex with my children. Let them do sexual things with my children. Oh, God is love. God is love. Be careful with Paul. Be careful with Paul. He's wronged us. He's corrupted us. He's cheated us. We've suffered injury from him. My, look, my anxiety is off the charts because of him. The leaven speaks such. Those who are perishing speak such. Oh, be careful with Paul. He's a legalist. Be careful. He's lost his mind. He's crazy. But I go over here now. I can still do my sex. I can still do my drugs. I can still, you know, let this sexual stuff happen with my kids. I can still do all this stuff. And the pastor never says anything about it. The elders never say anything about it. Wow, I go to church. I feel good. I, nice. I sing these nice songs. They got a big worship team. They sing... Uh, melodious sounds. They got these instruments. They play it. Wow, it's like a professional orchestra here. And the pastor never talks about sin. Never calls me on it. Never says anything about it. And I feel so good. I sit in the pulpit. I sit in the pew and I feel so good. You know what that is? That's the blind leading the blind. That's the deaf leading the deaf. That's the defunct leading the defunct. That's what that is. Paul says to Corinth, the remnant, you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. The remnant, the remnant, the leaven would say, oh, Paul has wronged us. He condemned us. He cheated us. We suffered injury from him. My anxiety is crazy now because of him. But the remnant? Man, I wronged myself. 
But Paul corrected me. Man, I'm so in love with Paul. He watches out for my soul. You know, I sin. I do my sex. I do my drugs. I go to bed at night. It's two in the morning. I'm sound asleep. It's three in the morning. I'm sound asleep. But Paul, wherever he is, he's praying for me. He's weeping for me. He's interceding. He's going before the Lord. For me, even when I wasn't watching out for my own soul, Paul was watching out for my soul. Paul hasn't wronged me. I wronged myself. Paul hasn't corrupted me. I corrupted myself. Paul hasn't cheated me. I cheated myself. Paul hasn't injured me. I injured myself. Paul's not the source of this anxiety. It's caused by me and my disobedience to the Lord. What if Paul said nothing? Chloe writes a letter to Paul. Paul, all this stuff is happening in the church. Look, the saints are doing this. The church in Corinth, we're a mess, Paul. What if Paul read it? Paul, you know, the runner comes, Paul, we got a letter from Chloe. Oh, I love Chloe. I miss her. I wonder how she's doing. He reads it. Oh, look, the sex, no big deal. Extortion, no big deal. Drunkard, revile, no big deal. No big deal. You know what would happen then? Then he would be disobedient to the Lord. You see? Now he has a choice to make. He can walk according to the flesh or walk according to the spirit. If he walks according to the flesh, oh, no big deal. And he would be disobedient. But obedience to the Lord and yielding to the spirit, he seeks the Lord, prays, and the Holy Spirit says, Paul, write this. Paul, write this down. It's going to hurt. You're going to regret it. But you're also not going to regret it. It's going to be painful for you to write. You're going to cry. You're going to have these tears. You're going to feel so weak in the knees because your strength is gone. You've poured into your children. But you have to say these things, Paul. These things must be said. Why? Because I want to lead them to repentance, saith the Spirit. They need to be clean. And since they haven't cleansed themselves, you clean them, Paul. Okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, my master. Yes, beautiful potter. I'm a bondservant unto you. I'll do it. I'll write these things down. Okay. It's breaking my heart. But take this guy and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I know who he is. I love him. I poured into him. He's like a son to me. But commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. These people who are doing the sex, the drugs, the reviling, the extortion, all the I love them. I know who they are. I poured into them. I love them. But separate from them. Because it's leaven. And a little leaven leavens the bunch. 
And I don't want you guys to have leaven. So you need to make a choice. Separate from them. You see? Division. Division within the division. Separation within the separation. You see? Now, we look at verse 10. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. That's what godly sorrow does. The Holy Spirit, I want these people to repent. God so loved the world. He wants repentance. He wants repentance. Because it's sin that separates his creation from him. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You say, oh, I'm good to go. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. I'm good to go. Once saved, always saved. Well, okay. You think once saved, always saved? I love you, but turn with me to the book of Luke chapter 8. I read this all the time, and I'm not going to get tired. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Red letters. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while. And in time of temptation, they fall away. You see, a short-term believer, just like we studied in Balaam, or in Numbers, but with Balaam. You see, they received the word with joy. Praise be to the Lord. They received him. They received the word. They believe. Praise be to the Lord. Oh, what's this? For a while? What? And in time of temptation, they fall away. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Remember, brethren. He says, beware, brethren, believers, Christians. Beware, brethren, lest there be an evil in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Why is there unbelief amongst the brethren? Very interesting. In departing from the living God. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Well, we already established in Luke 8. Once saved, always saved. Unbiblical. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. I know that's hardcore. I know it's not a popular belief. But it is written. It is entirely possible for a believer to become an unbeliever. Listen to our study through Romans 11. You'll understand it. In departing from the living God, in verse 13, but exhort one another daily what is called today, lest there be, lest, there, lest, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. That's the seduction of Satan and his demons. Oh, check this out. It's just a little crack. No big deal. So what's one prostitute? No big deal. Some time in the strip club? No big deal. Little pornography? No big deal. Tax cheat? No big deal. Look, it come, come out in your favor. You get $10,000, $15,000. Look, you want... Go ahead, file disability. File for disability. No big deal. Lie, cheat, steal. No big deal. 
And the whole time, if you heed that voice, your heart is getting harder and harder and harder and harder. And that's the pathway of unbelief. Hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see? Be ye of the circumcision of the heart. Christianity, Christianity, faith in Jesus Christ is the only way a female can be circumcised. My beautiful sisters in Christ, you believe in Jesus Christ, you are circumcised. You are circumcised. You see? Now, stay circumcised. You see? How does that, you sound like it's works-based. It's, it's obedience-based. Obey him. Obey him. Together, let us be a people that obeys him. Now, once again, turn with me to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22. In verse 18, the end, not the very end, but the end nonetheless. Verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Very interesting. A person hears these words. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Interesting. I mean, we'll touch on this when we study the rapture, which is not pre-tribulation. And in verse 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. You see? You see? So a name. In order for a name to be taken away from the book of life, in order, from a, in order for a name to be removed from the book of life, a name has to be in the book of life. Once saved, always saved. Unbiblical. No. Once saved, stay saved. Once saved, always saved. Unbiblical. Once saved, stay saved. Biblical. You see? Instead of, uh, you know, osas, once saved, always saved. This thing, os, <laughs> os. Some of you of the veteran class might know what that is, os. Not once saved, always saved. Once saved, stay saved. Remember that. Very important. Very, very important in these last days. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For godly sorrow in verse 10, godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. You see? Not to be regretted. Not to be. I'll tell you how this translates. Especially what we looked at in uh, Luke 8, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews 3, and uh, Revelation, uh, the end of Revelation. Not to be regretted is not to be without Repentance. That's how it translates. Not to be without repentance. What does that say to you and me? That you and me both, we need to repent, 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 repent. Not the sin only of commission. The works of our hands, the steps of our feet, when those are evil, we need to repent. The inner man, the inner woman, the inside, the spirit, lowercase s, the inner man, the inner woman, we need to repent. 
If you're meditating on filth, repent. If you're disobedient in your mind, repent. That's the sin of commission. What is committed. But what about the sin of omission? When the Lord says, hey, I want you to do this. Just like Jonah. Jonah. Hey, Jonah, I want you to go east. And I want you to go to Nineveh. What does Jonah do? He goes west. You see? That's the sin of omission. When the Lord says, do this, and you don't do this. That's the sin of omission. When the Lord says do this and you don't do it to him, it is sin. To her, it is sin. Don't do that. Jonah, the Lord says, Jonah, go east to Nineveh. Jonah says, nope, I'm going west. And he hit the shore. He got so far west, he hit the shore. And then he says, this isn't far enough. I'm going to get in this boat and I'm going further west. You see, the sin of omission. The Lord says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, nope. You see? There's sin of commission and sin of omission. It all needs to have repentance. Sin needs to be repented of. Trespass needs to be repented of. You say, oh, I've never been with a prostitute. Well, you've thought about it. I mean, if you've thought about it. I've never murdered somebody. Well, you hate this guy. You've murdered him in your heart. You see, the Lord raises the bar. He raises the ante. Repent, repent. The things that you've done with your hands, the things that, where your feet have taken you, but then also where your mind has taken you. Repent. You know how many marriages could be saved if the pastor was not defunct and would just say, men, clean your dirty minds. This isn't good. You know how many marriages would be saved? You know how many wives could sleep well at night knowing that their husband wasn't a freak show? Knowing that this freak isn't going to influence my sons and my daughters. You know how many wives could sleep peaceably in their beds? If a non-defunct pastor, if their defunct pastor would just say this, men, don't be a freak. Obey Christ in your mind. You want to think about this lady? You want to think about this pornography? You want to think about this sex? You want to think about this prostitute? Well, you're disobedient, men. Because... That's not true. That's not noble. It's not just. It's not pure. It's not lovely. It's not of good report. It is not virtuous. It is not uh, praiseworthy. It is disgusting. It is wickedness. And you need to repent, men. You know how many marriages could be saved? How many wives would rejoice? Because, wow, now for my son, he can have a godly influence in his own home. My daughters, they can have this Godly influence in their own home. So when they get married, when they start dating, they're not going to marry another freak. You see? But oh no. You got a lot of the defunct class in the pulpits. And if that's you, if you're a pastor, you're an elder, you need to repent and quite possibly you need to step down. You see? You need to step down.
definitely need to repent. These days are evil. These days are wicked. These days are dark. They're getting darker. Oh, but I, I can't make the people feel bad. I can't teach. I can't. I can't. So, so the people, I don't want the people to feel bad. I don't want them to feel grieved in their heart. I don't want them to feel that sadness, that sorrow. Because they might leave. And I just got a new house. And if they leave, they're going to take their money. And I can't because if they leave, I got to move. I can't afford to live here anymore. I just got a new car. If they leave, then I got to get rid of the car. And I like the car. Look, it's nice. It's got the honk honk and the room room. Look, I like this car. Look how fast it is. See? Pastor, who are you a slave to? Who are you a slave to? The clay? Or are you a slave to the potter? Because if you're a slave to the clay, you need to repent and step down. You need to be a slave to the potter. And in so doing, the clay will be the benefactors. And you will be safe because you're in submission to the potter, the master. You have the formula wrong, oh pastor. You have the formula wrong, oh man. You have the formula wrong, oh clay. You see, people will hate you. People will hate you when you teach truth. People will hate you. They'll call you names. They'll say you're crazy. They'll, they'll threaten you. They'll say, oh, you know what? I'm leaving and I'm going to take my money with me. Some will threaten to beat you up. You'll get messages, oh, I, you, I hate you. I'm never doing that. I hate you. You're so stupid. I hate you. You'll even get death threats. Eh. It's part of the gig. It's part of the gig. And in that you can rejoice because the Lord says they hated me first. They hated me first. Notice, Godly sorrow in verse 10 produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted or not to be without repentance. If you have a mindset, oh, I did the altar call when I was 10 years old. I'm good to go. Nope, doesn't work that way. That's like saying, oh, I took a shower when I was 10 years old. I don't need a shower ever again in my life. You will be the ripest of all ripe and woo. That's not a sweet aroma of definitely not a sweet aroma. And I speak in the natural sense. How much worse it is in the spiritual sense. You need a bath. You need a shower. You don't know how to do that? I'll teach you. I'll bathe you. As a father does to his son. As a father does to his little child, his little baby. I'll teach you. I'll show you. And if in your mind you're going off into crazy town, like what in the world this guy's talking about? You need to repent because you're letting your mind go off into crazy town. I'm not talking about crazy town stuff. You need to be obedient to Christ in your mind. I say this with the utmost of purity and the utmost of innocence. As a father bathes his own son, his own little one-year-old, his own little two-month-old, Gently, as gently, as gently, as gently as he can. 
And then in the course of time, you and me both, we can fulfill verse one. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see? Look at verse 10 at the end. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You have to make this distinction. Worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow says, you know what? I'm out of here. You know, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. And, you know, I, I, I do the sex. I do the drugs. This, I let this adult female have sex with my minor kids. Eh. Uh, you make me feel bad about that. I'm going to go to this guy. He's going to tickle my ears and I'm going to feel good. And on top of that, I'm going to take some Xanax. I'm going to sleep like a baby because I take my sleeping pills. Oh, I'm going to sleep like a baby because I do my crack, get a little high. I'm going to sleep like a baby because I do my whiskey. I do all this. You know, it'll take off the edge. Mixing drinks. That's worldly sorrow. And I tell you from experience. I've, I've committed that as a Christian 25 years ago, 20 years ago, at 23, 24 years ago. I did that where I was a believer in Jesus Christ, but I hated the words of my pastor in California. I hated his words. And I didn't like it. I felt like a dirt bag in church. I went to church, you know. And I was like, man, I, I thought, what is this? Yeah, I, the Christians are happy. Yeah, you guys are happy. All these things. Like, what? Why do I feel like such a dirt bag? You know why? Because I was a dirt bag. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I was a dirt bag. That's what sin does. I was so mad at the pastor. Like, what? And then I found out his testimony. You know, he was in a ground unit, United States Marine Corps. Ground unit has some killing, almost killed his wife. I'm like, okay, I like this guy. I'm going to listen to what he has to say. I listen to what he has to say. It's like, well, I don't like what he's saying because I feel like a dirtbag. Then he'd always say, open up your Bible, open up your Bible. So finally, I would open up my Bible. It'd take me an hour to find out where he was. And he'd start reading and I had my finger right exactly where he was. I'd follow along like a, like a little two-year-old. Like with my finger on the Bible, I was like following along with everything he says. And finally, I realized the Lord revealed to me. Your problem, clay, is not with this vessel. Your problem, clay, is with me. Whoa. Whoa. And then I repented. I say that, but I mean, there was a process behind that. There was some violence mixed with that. Worldly sorrow mixed with that. Suicide attempts. That's worldly sorrow. Going to the bottle. That's worldly sorrow. That's the sorrow of the world produces death. You see? Look at the voice of Satan. Did God really say? First question in the Bible came from the serpent. Did God really say? He said it to Eve. Did God really say? First question in the Bible came from Satan. He's got all these answers. He's a seducer. 
If you're in sin, it's only the crucified that can correct. Only the crucified can correct because the hypocrite cannot, biblically, is unable to correct because he or she is a hypocrite. And there's a lot of hypocrite pastors, a lot of hypocrite elders. They like their position of authority. Oh, we're at Matthew 18, Matthew 18. You can't even know. You're not even equipped to be in a Matthew 18 seat. Stay in your tent. You see? You cannot be a hypocrite. You yourself have to be washed. You yourself have to be clean. And then you can correct another brother, another sister. And the sorrow of the world produces death. So if you're in sin and the vessel of the Lord corrects you, you're going to feel that sting. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And it might be very painful. In those moments, you must take pause, reflect, and think. Because Satan will whisper to you. Satan will whisper to you. That, how dare that guy say that to you? How dare that lady say that to you? You know what? You're feeling anxious now? Give this guy a call. You know what? He'll fix you up right away. Let's go get you some drugs. Let's go get you some alcohol. You know what? How dare this guy make you feel that way? How dare this lady... You know what? Call this prostitute. She'll take care of you. Go to the strip club. They'll take really good care of you. You see? That's what Satan does. Or it's godly sorrow. You're going to feel bad. You're going to feel like a dirtbag the same way I felt like a dirtbag. I say these things from experience. I don't say these things like, oh, I saw this guy on TV and it sounds good, so I'm going to say it to you guys. No, I tell you from experience. I felt like a dirtbag. You know why? Because I was a dirtbag. And when your sin is confronted with righteousness, you're really going to feel like a dirtbag. But in those moments, you have a choice to make. Am I going to listen to the voice of Satan? Knowing that he seduces, knowing that he's the father of lies, knowing that he goes to seek, kill, and destroy, he's on a kill mission. Yeah, Egypt sounds good. You know, the, they got the, the fish, the leeks, the garlic. Egypt sounds awesome. I'm going to go back to the crack. I'm going to go back to the sex. I'm going to go back to the alcohol. And Satan will drag you to Egypt. Make it sound like everything's fine and dandy in Egypt, but he wants to kill you. He will slaughter you and your family, your wife, your kids, or if you're a female, your husband, your kids. If, you, if you're a kid, he'll slaughter you and destroy your parents because you're going to break their hearts. You see? Sometimes Satan gets a twofer. You see? Oh, I'm going to get the husband, and in so doing, I get the wife because I know the wife's going to submit to her husband because, you know, they're Calvinist, and the wife is going to submit the husband like crazy. And so the husband's going to say, okay, let's do this. I'm going to seduce the husband into crack. And now the wife is going to become a crackhead because she's submitting to her foolish husband. And she's a fool herself. He knows. 
They're hardcore into reform there. You know, wives submit to your husband, wives submit. And yes, it is biblical. Wives submit to your husband. But if, if he's a fool, don't submit to him. You submit to your better husband, Jesus Christ. And you hold on to your husband for dear life because you might save his soul. You see? Satan knows. He's a fisherman too. Don't forget, he's a fisherman too. Sometimes he gets a twofer through the man. He gets the man and then in so doing, he gets the wife. Because she's Calvinist, she's reformed, she's going to submit to him hardcore. Oh, I'm going to seduce the husband to do this sex, watch this pornography, do the prostitute stuff, and he's going to make the wife do this stuff, you know, defile her body. And the wife in submission to the husband, yes, husband, yes, husband, I will do this. Yes, husband, I will submit to you. Yes, husband. Here, let me make you a sandwich, husband. Yes, husband. I will submit to you. You want to do this with my body? Yes, husband, I will do it with you. You know, all these things, defiling her own body. Yes, husband, you want to do crack? Okay, husband, I will submit to you. Let's do crack together. Look, look what's happening to the kids. The kids are left exposed. Instead of being flanked by their parents, instead of being flanked by mom and dad for protection, shielded from danger, shielded from harm, the husband, the Satan seduces the husband, and the wife submits to the husband. Kids submit to their parents. Oh, they're Calvinists, they're Reformed, they're hardcore submission. You see? So Satan gets a two-first, Satan gets a three-first, Satan gets a five-first, Satan gets a six-first, Satan gets whatever. Because of defunct pastors who teach things which they ought not to teach. You see? That's what happens. Wife submits to husband, kids submit to parents, and everybody's a crackhead. Everybody goes off into crazy town. You see? Destruction. Death in Egypt. I speak metaphorically. If you're Egyptian, I speak metaphorically. I love you. I'm not talking about where you are. I'm talking about sin. You see? That's what happens. Satan is a fisherman. We as fishermen and fisherwomen, you know, in case there's any millennials or Z generation listening, fishermen and fisherwomen. We have to be wise fishermen. Wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Not stupid. Not idiotes. We have to be wise. You see? Husband wants to be seduced, goes off into crazy town. Wife submits to her better husband, capital H, Jesus Christ. Holds on to her husband for dear life. Holds on to kids with dear life. And her body is in the form of a cross. Sacrificing herself for the sake, for the soul of her husband, who's crazy. Holds on to the kids with her other hand. Her body becoming an instrument of sacrifice. You see? And in so doing, you save your kids, women. Wives, you save your kids. Your husband's crazy. But in the course of time, he might be restored. Pray for him. Intercede for him. A lot of wives, Satan's like, you know, oh, they're Calvinists. They're hardcore Calvinists. They're hardcore reformed. I get the husband. I just get, all I got to do is get one. All I got to do is get one, the husband. 
And when I get one, I get them all. You see? That's his mindset. Because he knows, okay, they're hardcore into submission. I'll let them have their little white picket fence for a little while. No big deal. Now's not the time to pounce. But three more years, six more years, 10 more years, I'm going to pounce hardcore on that husband. You see? And the husband led to the slaughter. You see? Wife in submission to him led to the slaughter. Kids in submission to them led to the slaughter. Satan gets a package deal. You see? Now, you could say, oh, that's so sad for the family. That's so sad for the husband, the wife, and the kids. But what they were doing was submitting to their pastor who taught them this. Defunct pastor who taught them one thing, but didn't teach them, it is also written. I blame the pulpit. I blame the pastor. I blame the elder. Because the pastor needs to say, okay, yes, wives, submit to your husbands. Kids, submit to your parents. But whoever goes off in crazy town, they go off into crazy town. You hold on to them. Husband goes off in crazy town, wife, hold on to that guy. But don't submit to him. You submit to your better husband, Jesus Christ. And when your husband is submitting to Jesus Christ, you know, it's vertical. It's vertical. He's in submission. To, Jesus Christ is in submission to the Father. Your husband's in submission to Jesus Christ. And your kids are in submission to you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. But son goes off into crazy town. Mom goes off into crazy town. Dad, anybody goes off into crazy town. That's their choice. You see, pastors need to teach. But among the Reformed and Calvinists, there's this hardcore, wives submit, wives submit, wives submit, wives submit, and Satan knows it. He loves it. Wife, your husband wants to do this. He watches his pornography. He wants to do crazy things with your body. Allow it to happen. Let it happen. There's some pastors who teach women can bring their men to Christ through sex. And this so-called pastor is very descriptive in how he says it. Very descriptive on women, what to do. This is how you perform, women. You do this. You know, use your body, women. The profane way. Use your body, women. You can do this. You can win men to Christ if you just do this. The unnatural use of your body. Disgusting, 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 sick, disgusting perverts of the defunct class at the pulpit. You see, where are the teachers? Where in the world are the teachers? Yes, there is a lot of sorrow in just reading the Bible. But as the life of a Christian, there is still a lot of sorrow. But understand that it's godly sorrow that produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted or not to be without repentance, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In verse 11, for observe this very thing. Remember, he's speaking to the remnant. Observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. Remember, he's speaking to the remnant. 
Remember, separation within a separation within a separation? He's speaking to the remnant. And to the remnant, he says this, who sorrowed in a godly manner, not who sorrowed in a worldly manner. The, the ones who sorrowed in a worldly manner, that's the leaven. Oh, how dare Paul say these things? Paul wronged us. Paul corrupted us. Paul cheated us. You see? Paul injured us. No, that's self-inflicted. But to the remnant, he says, you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What diligence, he says. What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation, which is anger. It's straight up anger. But you know, when I reflect back on my past sin, it makes me angry. It makes me angry. Because it's like, wow. I believed in Jesus Christ, but why in the world did I dabble with this? Did I dabble with that? Why? It makes me angry. You see? There's indignation with the thoughts and uh, realization and the uh, fruition of sin and trespass and the carnal nature. But when it's that sorrow in a godly manner, it produces the diligence. It produces the clearing. It produces the indignation and what fear, he says in verse 11. What fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, vindication. These seven things, diligence, clearing, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, and vindication. You know what that is? Victory. Victory. Just like we see in Numbers 31. How many casualties? Zero, sir. Zero, sir. You go out on patrol. You're leading your squad out on patrol. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous environment, but you yourself are dangerous. And not just yourself, your team, you're dangerous. You engage. You come back to FIBA. You come back to the FOB. You come back. Casualty report. Zero, sir. Oh. Nice work. Nice. You see? Zero casualties, sir. Defunct no more. Victory. Victory. Do you see what godly sorrow produces? Because like in verse 9 where it says most, most Christians pull the plug right here. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Most people never even make it there. They pull the plug right before that. Oh, how dare you make me feel sorrow? How dare you talk about my sex? How dare you talk about my drugs? How dare you talk about my alcohol? How dare you? How dare you? You're so evil. You're so wicked. You're too legal. You wronged us. You corrupted me. You, you cheated me. You injured me. No, that's self-inflicted. You did that yourself. You did that yourself. And most, most pull the plug, there's no godly sorrow. There's worldly sorrow, 
But there's no godly sorrow which leads to repentance. Which means what? No victory. No victory. Because godly sorrow leads to repentance, but it also produces something. What does it produce? Verse 11, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, victory, zero casualties. Listen to our study through Numbers 32. Zero casualties, sir. Oh, we got a hot environment. Weapons hot environment. You get the intel report, you read the intel report, and you've trained for it. Back in Conus, you've trained like crazy for it. And now you leave the threshold of FIBA in a very, very dangerous environment. A hot zone, weapons hot. Scary environment to many. But you're dangerous. You see? Not just you, the whole team. The whole squad, the whole platoon, the whole fire team. You come back. How many casualties? Casualty report. Zero, sir. You see? Victory. And most Christians don't even make it to this point. They don't even make it here. I don't say this to condemn. I just call it like it is. I'm just the messenger. Most believers don't even make it to this point. No victory. You see? Now, I don't say this to hurt anybody's feelings, but how many basket case case Christians do you see? There's a lot. There's a lot of basket case Christians. Tossed to and fro by all kinds of doctrines. They go to New York Times bestseller. Oh, I'm going to read this book, Crazy Love. I'm going to read this book, Unity, Unity, Unity. In order to do that, you have to put the Bible aside. And be entrenched in this doctrine that will lead you into grave soaking. An abomination. Oh, but this guy's a pastor. He's friends with this other pastor. They go on, you know, all these missions together. They do these things together. They join in ministry together. Yeah, they also go grave soaking together. The Spirit of the Lord will never guide anybody to do that. So by what spirit do they do such things? And you're going to submit to that? Yeah, the, the Bible says I got to submit to my pastor. I have to submit to these in authority over me because they, he watches out for my soul. Well, you need to be a Berean first because if you're a Berean, you would read your Bible, you would know your Bible and know that guy's crazy. That ain't crazy love. That's just straight up crazy. That ain't crazy love. That is straight up loco. Grave soaking? You see, you have to be a Berean. You have to be a Berean in these last days and you have to store oil because it's going to get darker and darker and darker and darker and darker. But there is Goshen. Goshen. And in Goshen, 
there is peace. He says at the end of verse 11, in all things you proved yourself or you exhibited yourself like a like you go to a car exhibit. You see all these cars, you know, the old school cars, the hot rods, the, you know, with the honk honk and the room room. They open up the hoods and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. You look inside, like, whoa, look at this upholstery. It's so beautiful. Wow. It's on exhibit. That's what Paul is saying here. In all things, you exhibited yourselves. You're on clear display here. For what? To be clear in this matter. To be clear in this matter. You see, that's what godly sorrow produces. It's holiness. It's the way of righteousness. It's the battlefield of the Christian. The battle of the believer. Just like we studied straight up combat. Combat in Numbers 31 and Numbers 32. What about combat in accordance to grace? And I'm talking about being violent with the flesh. Being violent with the flesh, the carnal nature. You see? Separation. And not just separation. I'm talking about separation from separation from separation. Divide them, divide them, divide. From dark to light and light to super light and then light from super light to super, super duper light. That's what I'm talking about. Goshen. The next generation of not just righteousness, the next generation of pastors, of the not of the defunct. The next generation of pastors, shepherds, teachers, ministry leaders, elders, bishops, deacons, helps ministries, serving in tables. That next generation. In all things, you prove yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, you prove yourselves to be innocent, chaste, pure. A wise virgin. You see? You say, whoa, that's too hardcore. This is preparation. This is all part of our, your preparation for the marriage. Picture you and me. We go into these private chambers, just you and me. And I'm a eunuch, a bondservant of the king. And if you're male, you know, I'll make you look nice. If you're female, I'll make you look nice. But not just on the outside. On the inside. Because your marriage is coming. Your marriage is coming. The bridegroom is coming. You see? It's like a bride before her wedding day. Like sometimes we, you know... She'll exercise, get a nice wedding dress. She'll exercise, do it, lose five pounds, lose 10 pounds. She's got to do this, does the makeup, does the hair. She beautifies herself for her wedding day. But the same thing as Christians. The bridegroom is coming. And that's pastors. Pastors of the non-defunct, if that's you. Get very comfortable with the idea of being a bondservant who is also a eunuch. And you prepare the flock of God for their marriage. 
the better marriage, the bridegroom. Prepare the people. A lot of people will hate you. That's it's part of the gig. You see? Paul says this in verse 12, Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong. What? This is kind of a shock. Paul, what are you talking about? You wrote the first epistle, but you didn't do it for the sake of him who did the wrong? You see? Nor for the sake of him who suffered wrong. Whoa. Paul, what are you saying here? You're saying you wrote the first epistle, the one of which you say, commit this one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, to separate from this, the, the brethren, not of the world, but to separate of the, among Christians, separate from them who are involved in these works of the flesh, to separate from, you, you wrote the first epistle, the first letter, for neither the perpetrator nor the victim? Why, Paul? He says this, but that our care for you in the sight or in the presence of God might appear to you. Whoa. He did it for the remnant. I didn't say these things for the perpetrator. I didn't say these things for the victim, I said it for the remnant. I wrote these things for you, the remnant. I said these things for you, the remnant. You see? For you. Now, the leaven, Paul's so stupid. He's such a legalist. He's wronged us. He's corrupted us. He's cheated us. He's injured us. What say you? Remnant? Has he done those things to you? Or have you been refined? You see? Paul says, I did that for you. I said those things for you. Because I care for your soul. You see? That's hardcore. Now, if you're a pastor, I've talked with pastors all the time. Say, How come you don't have church membership? It's like, well, you do have membership? Yeah, I got membership. I need to know who I need to invest in. Well, how do you know? What's your membership for? Oh, look, let me, I'll email it to you. Check this out. It's like an application. You gotta like apply to be a member at a church. It's so stupid. So the pastor can know, I need to know who I need to invest time in because, you know, if I'm going to take a moment of my time for this. Look, Jesus invested all his time and they killed him. Let the Lord establish church membership. You teach truth because when you teach truth, people will leave, few will stay, few will come, the majority, they'll leave. You see? But you die for the remnant. You toil for the remnant. You don't sleep for the remnant.
It's like when you're going to eat fish for dinner, you wake up in the morning, you know you're going to have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fish meal for dinner. What you don't know, you're going to go fishing. What you don't know is whether it's going to be Chinook salmon or coho salmon or sockeye salmon or steelhead or trout or bass or sturgeon. You don't know. But you know you're going to have fish that night. You just don't know what kind. The same thing in teaching. You invest, you pour into all who the Lord brings. Who stays? Let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit establish. If you want, I'm doing air quotes here. Let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit establish church membership. That's my air quotes. Church membership. Let the Lord establish that. Paul says, I didn't do I didn't write the first epistle. All the hardcore men. You remember how difficult 1 Corinthians was? I mean, it was difficult to teach. Especially chapter 5, 6, 7. These are some tough verses. But they need to be taught. They need to be said. And then the, the, Holy, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 12, 13, 14. Those are some hard topics because... They're an affront to what you see today. They're an affront to what you see in mainline Christianity today. Difficult passages. If you're Pentecostal, if you're charismatic and you listen to first our study through 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, that's hardcore because it's an affront to the norm, the air quote norm. Because what you see in the multitudes, what you see within the so-called norm, in a lot of ways, isn't even biblical. I say this to the Calvinist. I say this to the Reformed. I say this to the Charismatic. I say this to the Pentecostal. I say this to the Catholic. I say this to the J-Dubs. I say this to the Mormons. Come out of her, my people. Repent, 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 repent. And come into Christ. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, because He's coming again. If you're a pastor, all who enter, Pour into them. Teach them. And you know what will happen? Some of them will hate you. Some of them will threaten to kill you. Some of them will say, I'm out of here. I'm going to go get my ears tickled across the street. But some will stay. Thus fulfills what Brother Paul says here. In verse 12. Yeah, I wrote to you. I said what I said. And yes, it did. It made you sorry. He says in verse 12, I wrote to you, I didn't I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of who nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong. But that our care for you in the sight in the presence of God might appear to you. Now, why does why does the the concern of Paul need to be apparent? To the remnant. Why? Because the remnant needs to understand we're going to paradise. We're going to paradise. We're in kindergarten now and tomorrow we're going to be in first grade and then tomorrow the next day we're going to be in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth, fifth, sixth and we're moving on to perfection. You need to understand that I care for your soul this holy bubble, this entourage of Paul, we care for your soul. I'm going to say things that are going to hurt you. 
but I care for your soul. It hurts me too, because I have to tell you. And, you know, 20 some years ago, or in Paul's case, you know, eight years ago, it hurt me too. It was painful to me too. But godly sorrow did its perfect work. It brings the godly to repentance. You see? You say, wait a second. What do you mean it brings the godly to repentance? Because the very act of repentance, my friend, is godliness. I don't care how dark your life is. The sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the whatever, I could care less. The very act of repentance requires humility. The very act of repentance and humility is holy. What do you mean? I'm a sex head. I'm a crackhead. I'm a, I do my drugs, my alcohol, my whatever. And you're telling me I can be holy? The ball's in your court. Absolutely, you can be holy. But the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. Will you respond? I pray you do. I desire you to. I say that, but it doesn't even do it justice. I want you to be cleansed. And God loves you. But you have a choice. He doesn't make robots. You know, people you might think like, oh yeah, I went to this church. I tried it once and this guy told me I was predestined for hell. Well, he was wrong. But he has a study Bible. Multitudes follow him. That's nice. Multitude, you know, multitudes follow him and they're all, multitudes are going to take the mark of the beast like he teaches. You see, it's a trap. It's also false doctrine in other areas. You see, repent. Whosoever, whosoever. And so we continue in closing verse 13. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. You guys are comfortable. We're comfortable. We're comfortable. The field is comfortable. We're comfortable. We have been comforted in your comfort. Remember, there was remember the study through Acts 17 through 21, a lot of tribulation, a lot of reason to be fearful and scared and trouble on every side, conflicts and inside were fears. But remember verse six, nevertheless, God, and what is the handiwork of God? Look at the handiwork of what he's done in his saints. In Paul, in Titus, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Berea, in Thessalonica. You see? And the worker says to the field in verse 13, Therefore we have been comforted in your comfort. Picture Paul in entering Jerusalem, he's, change and tribulations await him. He knows that. And yet being comforted by the Lord. I mean, the Lord, we read the red letters. I am with you, Paul. But you know who's also with Paul? The saints. The saints. As reported by Titus. In verse seven, their earnest desire, the churches, the, the Corinth's, an earnest desire and mourning and zeal for Paul. 
Paul, we love you. You're watching out for our souls. You tell us, follow me as I follow Christ. And okay, Paul, we're on board. We're on board, Paul. You say we're going to Zion? Let's go. We're going. We're with you, Paul. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort. And we rejoice exceedingly. I'm reading from verse 13. And we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus. Notice, Titus is a future pastor. A future pastor. This holy bubble of Paul, this entourage of Paul, it's not the average bear. The average bear is pouring into other non-average bears. Titus, Timothy, Phoebe. You see? All these beautiful, beautiful saints, these beautiful, beautiful vessels, workers. And we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if any, if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I am not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, it always must be in truth. All things holy must be, must be in truth. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. Now Paul speaking to Titus, oh, Titus, you're going to love Chloe. You're going to love Corinth because, you know, th there was this, le this letter I wrote and it, it was painful to write, but they had to be said. It had to be said. There was a division, separation. It had to be said. But Chloe, you're going to love Chloe. Those are little home fellowship. These ladies there might be a couple guys, but you're going to love them so much. Titus comes into town. And all of a sudden, Titus comes back to Paul. The yo-yo, remember? The yo-yo of the holy bubble. The holy yo-yo. He comes back and Paul is comfort, like rejoicing even more to see Titus, to hear the report of the Corinthian church, and to hear that, yes, Paul, we're on board. We love you. You say, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay, Paul, we're right there with you. Let's go. We're on our way to Zion. You see? We know, Paul, that you care for our souls. And now we know in the second epistle, we really know when you said what you said, yes, it was painful and godly sorrow led us to repentance. And that repentance gave us diligence, clearing, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, vindication. We had victory in what you said because we responded to the godly sorrow in a godly manner. We repented and we were purified, made clean. We were refined. Remember, the majority of Christians, the vast majority, the large majority of Christians never make it to this point. No victory. Casualty after casualty after casualty after casualty after casualty. On top of that, apostasy. Lights going out. No victory. And when there's no victory, when there's no uh, power of the Holy Spirit, they come up with these excuses. Oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like he does in the book of Acts because that was for that dispensation. He doesn't do that anymore. Rubbish. That was for another dispensation. Absolute and total rubbish. Poppycock. That is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no expiration date on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There might be an expiration date on the power in their lives. But they made their choice. 
There's a reason why there's no power. There's a reason why there's no lights. There's a reason why there's dim lights. There's a reason. It's not good. You see? And Satan, by the lying wonders of Satan, the only ones biblically now, I mean, it's all biblically, but the only ones that can identify the Antichrist are the super lights, the super duper lights. These are the only ones who can identify the Antichrist who enters with all lying wonders, deceiving men. And so, lights will go dim. Lights will go out. Apostasy will come. Apostasy is here. And it will get worse. Oh, but the Holy Spirit, that that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for this dispensation. That was just for the book of Acts. Lights out for that house. Lights out for that believer. They believe, but even the demons believe. It's called religion. You see? If the light's not out, the light's dimming. The light's gonna be out. But not so with the remnant, my friend. Not so with the remnant. The remnant will be Goshen. The remnant will have not just lights. The remnants will have super lights. Not just super lights. The remnant will have super, super duper lights. That's the remnant. You see? And so Paul says in verse 14, But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. Titus came back and says, you know what? You said I'd love Chloe. And you know what, Paul? Man, I'm so in love with Chloe. Man, she is hardcore, Paul. I love her. She is so, man, you know, I saw her in her little home fellowship. And I just sat there and I was listening. And oh my, Paul, she, she reminds me of you, Paul. And Paul has a big old smile on his face. Oh man, I love that, Chloe. She's like you, Paul. You see, new wine skin with new wine, pouring in new wine to another new wine skin. The next generation of not just righteousness, the next generation of pastors, elders, teachers, deacons, bishops, helps ministries, serving in tables, the next generation of ministry leaders. And then all of a sudden, verse 15, and his affections, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about Titus and his affections or his deep emotional state, his emotions, his deep emotions, his affections are greater for you. You see, as he remembers the obedience of you all, think of Titus coming back. Think of Titus coming back to Paul. Wow, Paul. Your letter, I saw your letter that you, before it was sent out, I read it and whoa, that was hardcore. But Paul, we can rejoice. God is good, Paul. 
God is so gracious and merciful and loving to us, Paul, and to his saints and to his people, because look at what their sorrow produced. The people, the remnant, they're obedient. They're obedient to the things that you write. And Paul said, look, 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 look. I know I wrote it, but it wasn't me that wrote it. I'm just, I'm just the messenger. The Lord put that on my heart. The Lord poured into me and I poured it on the parchment. Yes, we know Paul. We know Paul. You see? Titus reflecting to, telling to, reporting to Paul. Oh, Paul, you know, you know, you're going to prison, you know, chains and tribulations await you. The Holy Spirit has revealed it. You know, it, you're probably going to be imprisoned, Paul. And yes, you have this history a couple towns ago, a couple, you know, when before we got on the ship, before the, you're like, wow, you know, there you were beaten, you were left for dead. You never slept. It'll work, you toil, you make your tents, you'd sell the tents, and with the proceeds we ate, you fed us in this holy altar. You taught all night long. The guy who fell at the window, you taught all night long. We thought it was over then because that was a traumatic experience, but we kind of, the Lord, you know, was gracious to him, brought him back to life. We dusted him off. We thought we were going to call it a night, but you still kept teaching. You still kept teaching. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm blessed to be in this bubble and I see your prayer life. I see you weep for the brethren. I see you weep for the saints. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Notice Titus and Timothy. They're, they're eyewitness to these very, the sacrificial life of Paul. They are eyewitness to it. Because, hey, you're up next, Titus. You're up next, Timothy. You're up next. You're going to fill these sandals. You see? Obedience. Obedience. Oh, that sounds works-based. What are you talking about? How can it be works-based? Verse 15 says, He remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Now, you say, wait a second, they received him with fear and trembling? Okay, so remember the first letter? First letter, first Corinthians is hardcore. That letter goes forth. Now that letter goes forth, and then Paul says to Titus, okay, Titus, I want you to go to Corinth. I want you to go to Corinth and check on things. See if they're still defunct. Did they commit that guy to Satan for the destruction of his flesh? Have they separated? Because it needs to happen. Pay me to write it. I didn't want to even say it, but it had to be said. Now, Titus, I want you to go and check on these guys. And so you have the shell-shocked church in Corinth. Oh, man, you know, like, I can't believe Paul said those things, but he's right. Those things need to be said. Think of the rejoicing in Chloe's house. In Chloe's household, that fellowship, like, wow, you know, it breaks our heart that it got to this point, but there needs to be cleansing. But think of those ones with the godly sorrow which brought them to repentance, and now they're in the victory. Maybe some of them are not in victory. Maybe they're still in that stewing stage of sorrow where it's like, Man, I have a choice to make. And then all of a sudden they catch wind. Hey, Paul is sending Titus to come visit us. What? What? 
Yeah, Titus, look. See that little figure up on the hill? That's Titus, and he's going to be here in two minutes. Oh, my goodness. What do we do? What do we do? We read Paul's letter. We read Paul's letter. I don't know what to do. And they received him with fear and trembling. Not that it's like Titus is going to go in there and just wreck shop on their faces. But Titus is a vessel of the Lord. Poured into by the Lord through Paul. A future pastor. Accountability. Here he is coming down the hill. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad we separated from those. I'm so glad that those guys are in our here anymore because, man, Titus would just like go crazy in a good way, not crazy in a bad way, but Titus would just like, whew. praise be to the Lord. All of a sudden, who is it? <laughs> you know, you know who it is, but you say it anyways. Um, who is it? Titus. And everybody's kind of whispering like, oh my God. I'm freaked out. What is he going to say? You open the door. Oh, hello, Titus. Hello, Titus. And he's got this big fat smile on his face. Oh, I love you, brothers. I love you, Chloe. Come here. I love you, brother. Come here. Oh, praise be to the Lord. Because look, you know, Paul wrote this letter. And I've already seen, I've already heard report. There was this guy coming up the hill. We had a little conversation. And he told me that, yes, all these things happened. And, you know, yes, you were sorry. But look at what it produced. Look at your victory. Do you guys see? You are the remnant. You are the remnant. You guys were leavened before. You guys were leavened because, not because of you, because of them. And their choices. And yes, you got an issue with the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, but don't worry about that. I'll take care of that later. I'll take care of that in, you know, the next house where the pastors are staying. I'll go to the next. I'll take care of that. But as for you, a people of the way, you're the remnant, the beautiful remnant. And look how bright you shine. You're not just light. You're super light. And you're not just super light. You're super duper light. You see? In the midst of Corinth. Corinth and all the sickness that was in Corinth. Disgusting. A lot of sex. A lot of alcohol. All these, you know, the metropolis of Corinth. And you guys shine even brighter. You guys were dimming before. Some of the lights, a lot of lights were going out. But man, you guys are super bright. So they opened the door. Oh, it's Titus. Nice to see you, Titus. And they were kind of fearful at first. But then Titus has a big fat smile on his face. Gives you a big fat hug, a big bear hug. Oh, I love you. I love you. And a big fat kiss on the cheek. Oh, a holy kiss in accordance with what Paul teaches. Not of the modern day Episcopal kind. You know, a nice big fat holy kiss. Oh, I love you so much. Look, Paul sends his greetings. Paul sends his tidings. He loves you. You know, he's on his way to Jerusalem right now. But, you know, pray for him. Oh, we've been praying for Paul. We love him so much. Tell him, send him our love. Tell him we love him so much because he watches out for our souls. Even when I wasn't watching out for my soul, he was, you know, toiling away, praying for us, teaching us. He sent us this letter so that we can be right with the Lord. You see? And they received him in verse 15. Speaking about Titus, his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, 
I rejoice. You see? I rejoice. The reciprocity, I hate that word, but it explains it well, but not well enough. The reciprocity of this rejoicing. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. You see? Think of this Corinthian church now. A remnant, but not just light, super light. And not just super light, super duper light. Think of what can happen in this remnant. Pastors, elders being trained, pastors being trained, ministry leaders being trained. Think of the beautiful things that can happen in this little remnant in Corinth. And Paul says, I have confidence in you in everything. Before, I didn't have that much confidence in you because there was leaven. I couldn't because there was leaven. You guys put up with these things. You guys put up with these things. No, your rejoicing isn't good. Take this guy, commit him to Satan. And, you know, these others, these others who are involved with these works of the flesh, separate from them. And in so doing, you fulfill what Isaiah the prophet says, inspired of the Lord, what uh, Ezekiel the prophet says, inspired of the Lord. You, you fulfill what the prophet Nathan says, in, inspired of the Lord. And in that same spirit, I say it to you, which is what? To a people of the way. And I'll read again from 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, in the middle. As God, God, as God has said, our father, as our father has said, your father, our father, as God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you, you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.